to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, 
and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. Well, welcome back to another adventure here. You're here listening to us on Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show and, like I said, put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chick, Annie, along with my debonair and erudite co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. And I managed to do that without screwing up this week. Yay! <laughs> That's great. That's great. I'm enjoying the um, overcast, overcast skies here in Florida. Um, hopefully it oh, won't rain here. too bad. But it's good sleeping same weather. Same here. I, that much. Three but, hours um, north of you. <laughs> yeah, other than that, I've been trying my best to avoid this impeachment um, fiasco. And it hasn't been oh, hard either because I have over a hundred and something other channels. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's absolutely insane. I mean, and, and of course, shitty, sh- I'm sorry, shift uh, <laughs> has, <laughs> has been altering testimony, claiming certain things are in transcripts, and he just makes them up out of thin air. Want to know which Hollywood screenwriter is writing his script as he goes into these impeachment hearings for his monologue. Um, but we got ourselves a really packed show today. Uh, Liz Harrington, she's the RNC spokeswoman, will be joining us again at the start of the show, followed by uh, our friend Mark Robinson. People know him from the YouTube video uh, up in North Carolina where he challenged the Greensboro City Council about their attempt at gun grabbing. Uh, our friend Clarence McKee, again, always a favorite of the show. He's returning. We got a new person, Lauren Bobert. Uh, she is a restaurant owner and a gun owner who open carries in her own restaurant. Her waitresses open carry as they're serving you. She's also running for Congress. And then a dear right. friend of mine that I've known for like the last 10 years or so, James Simpson. You know him as the author of the Red Green Axis. Um, he's got now a Red Green Axis 2.0 that came out this past June. Um, Jim is a dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, love him. He's a big teddy bear, and he's going to be joining us. So we got a lot to do and a lot to talk about, Curtis. It is going to be a nonstop show again. Wow. I can't wait. Oh, man. Um, I need to, I guess, to move this along a little bit because we've got a special dedication going out. And people that listen to the show know, oh, I do want to, before I even start that, I want to welcome everyone that's listening over here on Blog Talk Radio, also listening live and watching live on um, Facebook. And it will be going up on YouTube later on this evening after we get off the air. Uh, but if you have been listening and watching us, you know we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is a little special um, because President Trump recognized this gentleman on Martin Luther King's birthday, which was this past Monday. Today is the week, the Civil Rights Week. It's also Pro-Life Week. Um, Trump was down at the March for Life rally um, 
this president has proven to be amazing, and he did something very special. He dedicated a aircraft carrier to this hero that we are dedicating today. It's going out to the U.S. Navy cook, third class, Doris Miller, who was killed on November 24th of 1943 during the Battle of Tarawa when a single torpedo from a Japanese submarine struck the escort carrier he was on, the Liscombe Bay. And this starts out with the Daily Wire posting of the dedication Trump has just done. And it reads, The Trump administration is set to honor World War II hero, ship's cook third class Doris Miller, during a Martin Luther King Jr. Day ceremony at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii by naming a future Gerald R. Ford class aircraft carrier after Miller. The decision was made by Thomas B. Modley, who was appointed by President Donald Trump to Undersecretary of the Navy in 2017 and took over as Acting Secretary of the Navy last year after Trump fired Richard Spencer from the role in November. In selecting this name, We honor the contributions of all our enlisted ranks, past and present, men and women of every race, religion, and background, Modley said. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. observed, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. No one understands the importance and true meaning of service than those who have volunteered to put the needs of others above themselves. Modley continued, Doris Miller Miller stood for everything that is good about our nation, and his story deserves to be remembered and repeated wherever our people continue the watch today. Miller, who died in 1943, described firing the weapon, which he had not been trained to do, by saying, it wasn't hard. I just pulled the trigger, and she worked fine. I had watched the others with these guns. I guess I fired her for about 15 minutes. I think I got one of those Jap planes. They were diving pretty close to us. And this is from greatblackheroes.com. And it reads, Doris Dory Miller was born on October 12, 1919 in Waco, Texas, the son of Connery and Henrietta Miller. They were sharecroppers who would eventually become subsistence farmers, and thus the family was fairly poor. Doris was a big child at five foot nine and 200 pounds, playing fullback on his high school football team. He was expelled from school due to engaging in numerous fights over racial issues. He worked on his father's farm until he was 20 years old when he enlisted in the United States Navy in 1939. He served as a meth attendant, third class, and became the ship's cook when he was transferred to the USS West Virginia battleship. A mess attendant prepares and serves food to the officers and the crew, clears the tables, and cleans the dishes, and makes the beds, and cleans the bedroom and bathrooms of the officers. After temporary duty on the USS Nevada at Secondary Battery Gunnery School, He returned to the USS West Virginia on August 3rd, 1940. At this point, he stood at six foot three 
and weighed over 200 pounds. Because of his size and strength, he competed in boxing competition on the ships and became the heavyweight champion of the West Virginia. An impressive feat considering the ship had a crew of approximately 2,000. He was advanced to mess attendant second class just before the USS West Virginia was sent to Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. On the morning of December 7, 1941, Dory was awake at 6 a.m. on the West Virginia. He had volunteered as a room steward and made an extra $5 each month providing wake-up calls and services to the duty officers, as well as doing their laundry, shining their shoes, and making their beds. When the alarm for general quarters was sounded, he headed to his battle station, the anti-aircraft battery magazine amidship. Unfortunately, the ship was under attack by more than 200 Japanese torpedo planes, bombers and fighters, and a torpedo had destroyed his battle station. Because of his size and strength, he was ordered to run across the deck to retrieve injured shipmates and carry them to the quarterdeck where they were protected somewhat from the attack. He was next ordered to come to the aid of the injured ship's captain, Mervyn Benyon. He rushed to the bridge to attempt to carry Benyon to safety, but the captain refused to leave his post. Benyon would die of his wounds. Miller was next ordered to help Ensign Victor Delano and Frederick H. White load the number one and number two Browning 50 caliber anti-aircraft machine guns. Delano expected Miller to load into both gun ammo, but when he looked back, he saw that White had loaded both guns and was shocked to see Miller manning one of the guns and firing into the air at dive-bombing Japanese planes. Despite having no training in operating the big guns, he bravely jumped into action. Miller later recounted, It wasn't hard. I just pulled the trigger and she worked fine. I watched the others with these guns. I guess I fired her for about 15 minutes. I think I got one of those Japanese planes. They were diving pretty close to us. Later, versions of the story had Miller shooting down four Japanese planes. But the truth is, he probably didn't hit any. During the time he was firing, the gun had only one Japanese plane was shot down. One of those planes that he, Miller, was shooting at, and everyone else in the bay was shooting at, went down. He felt very pleased with that. And I don't blame him, but there were a lot of other guys shooting at it also, Victor Delano related, in 1993. Added White, I did see Miller, Miller shooting but I would term it rather wild. So I doubt he hit anything. I certainly did not see him shoot down a plane. In fact, according to official records, the USS West Virginia did not have a record of anyone on board having shot down any planes that day. Nonetheless, the attempt by anyone on board to fire at incoming planes certainly made it more difficult for the Japanese to press their attack. White later ordered Miller to help pull sailors out of the water and to safety. Eventually, because of the severe damage from explosions, the West Virginia began flooding, and everyone was ordered to abandon ship. Of the 1,541 men on West Virginia during the attack, 130 were killed and 52 wounded. The ship, 
had been struck by nine Japanese torpedoes. Reports of the attack referenced the actions of an unknown Negro sailor. When he was identified as Doris Miller, Senator James Mead of, Mead of New York introduced a Senate bill seeking to award Dory the Medal of Honor, the United States' highest military honor awarded for personal acts of valor above and beyond the call of duty. On April 1, 1942, Doris Miller was commended by the Secretary of the Navy, Frank Knox. The commendation read, Distinguished devotion to duty, extraordinary courage, and disregard of his personal safety during the attack on the fleet in Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. While at the side of his captain on the bridge, Miller, despite enemy strafing and bombing, and in the face of serious fire, assisted in moving his captain, who had been mortally wounded, to a place of greater safety, and later manned and operated a machine gun until ordered to leave the bridge. On May 27, 1942, he was presented the Navy Cross by Admiral Chester Nimitz, the commander of the chief of the Pacific Fleet, on board the aircraft carrier, the USS Enterprise, for his extraordinary courage in battle. That citation read, for distinguished devotion to duty, extraordinary courage, and disregard for his own personal safety, in the face of serious fire, assisting in moving his captain, who had been mortally wounded to a place of greater safety, and later manned and operated a machine gun until ordered to leave the bridge. This marks the first time in this conflict that such a high tribute had been made in the Pacific Fleet to a member of his race, and I'm sure that the future will see others similarly honored for brave acts. Signed, Admiral Chester W. Nimitz. He was reassigned to the USS Indianapolis on December 13, 1941, and his rank was raised to mess attended first class on June 1, 1942. Later that month, the Pittsburgh Courier called for him to be honored like the same of the white war heroes and allowed to return home for a war bond tour. He arrived at Pearl Harbor on November 23rd and was ordered on a war bond tour while still attached to USS Indianapolis. Over the course of the next few months, he gave talks in Oakland, California, in his hometown of Waco, Texas, and in Dallas, Texas. He also spoke at the first graduating class of Negro sailors from the Great Lakes Naval Training Station in Chicago, Illinois. On June 1, 1943, Miller received another promotion, that of Petty Officer Ship's Cook, third class, and he was reassigned to the escort carrier Liscombe Bay. On November 24, 1943, during the Battle of Tarawa, a single torpedo from the Japanese submarine I-175 struck the escort carrier near the stern. The aircraft bomb magazine detonated a few moments later, and the warship was sunk within a few minutes. There were only 240 272 survivors, and the rest of the crew was listed as missing in action, presumed dead. On December 7, 1943, exactly two years after his courageous effort during the Pearl Harbor attack, Miller's parents were notified of their son's death. 
Many petitioned for Miller to receive the Medal of Honor for his acts on December 7, 1941, and while he never received the award, he has been honored repeatedly over the years. In addition to the Navy Cross, Doris was entitled to the Purple Heart Medal, the American Defense Service Medal, Fleet Clasp, the Asiatic Pacific Campaign Medal, and the World War II Victory Medal. Commissioned on 30 June 1973, the USS Miller FF-1091, a Knox-class frigate, was named in honor of Doris Miller. The War Department issued a recruitment poster adorned with his portrait entitled Above and Beyond the Call of Duty. He has been portrayed in a number of movies, including the 1970s Torah, 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 in which he was portrayed by Elvin Howe, Harvard, and in 19, I'm sorry, in 2001's Pearl Harbor, in which it was portrayed by Cuba Gooding Jr. The Doris Miller Foundation was founded in 1947 to give an annual award to the individual or group considered outstanding in the field of race relations. In February 2010, the United States Postal Service issued a commemorative stamp in his name. And on June 30th, 1973, the USS Miller FF-1091 was commissioned in his honor. He has had numerous schools and community buildings named after him. On January 20th of this year, the United States Navy named an aircraft carrier in honor of Miller. The Gerald R. Ford class carrier named after Miller will be deployed in major combat operations, crisis response, and humanitarian relief. According to Popular Mechanics, the reason for the naming are twofold, to honor the U.S. Navy's enlisted sailors and their heroes, and to honor the contributions of African-American sailors. The USS Miller will be the first aircraft carry in the history of the U.S. Navy to be named for either. Doris Miller is one of those individuals whose lives are forever etched in stone because of his actions during a moment of crisis. Though his time on earth was short, history has remembered him for his valor and his dedication to country. This was penned by Vince Sanders in Documents of Truth. Today's show is dedicated to Dory Miller. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there who serve this nation in our military, from the birth of this nation through today and into its marvelous future. We also dedicate it to the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We say God bless each and every one, and we dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon, My Name is America. I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and 
to me. They believe in the virtues I stand for. I respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants who envy my power. You're on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up in iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker. Oh, jeez. Just go to the name of the show. Put a dash in there. Southern-sense.com. I got an itchy nose all of a sudden, so pardon me for watching. <laughs> I'm sticking my nose. itching like crazy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, jeez. Am I ever going to get into a fight or kiss a fool? Yanni, where are you? <laughs> anyway. No, great things lie ahead. <laughs> You're here listening to us. Oh, man, I'm your hostess with the most that's lost it. <laughs> Radio Chick Annie, along with Curtis C.S. Bennett. Again, welcome everyone that's listening in on our chat room as well as over on Facebook. Oh, geez. Uh, just, there's just so much to talk about. I, I Just pardon me, guys. I just My nose is itching like crazy. <laughs> oh, oh, geez. Anyway, uh, we've got so much to talk about. You know, um, our president... Uh, did something today that no other president has done in the past, and he showed up at the March for Life rally today. I mean, mm-hmm. the March for Life rally started right after Roe v. Wade was just, uh, was uh, ruled upon back in 1973 by the Supreme Court, and that's when they started the March for Life rallies, which was not very popular. A lot of presidents like to hide in the Oval Office uh, behind their desk and their safety but he got out there and went to the rally, got up and spoke. And on one side was uh, our friend Alveda King, Reverend Alveda King. She was there, Martin Luther King's uh, niece. And on the other side was Mike Lee. And 
listen to the crowd. They loved him. No president has done that before. Uh, Jimmy Carter didn't. Uh, both Bushes, Bush one and Bush two, did not. Ronald Reagan didn't. You know, you would think of anything Ronald Reagan would though. Yeah. He was heavily uh, pro-life. Uh, but no. But Trump. Well, not he's not afraid. Trump. He's not afraid to uh, express what he feels and what he supports. Uh, he doesn't have to put his finger up to the political wind and see, you know, which direction <laughs> um, things are going. He just just go right at it, you know. He just, um, I said, like a pit bull. He just charges, you know. Doesn't have to rely on polls and and focus groups and things like that, like some of the presidents. Uh, exactly. Exactly. You know, the heck with the focus group. But we've got our, our guest calling in now. Let me bring her up on the line. Welcome back to the show. Always fun to have her. Liz Harrington, the RNC spokesperson. Good afternoon, Liz. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? All right. We were just discussing the temerity of our president for showing up at the Right to Life rally. No president has done that before. And we've had these rallies since 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed. I'm sorry, not passed, ruled upon by the Supreme Court. And it doesn't matter. Jimmy Carter, who's highly Christian, both Bushes did not go. Ronald Reagan, who was heavily pro-life, did not go. But Donald Trump broke the mold and proved everyone wrong. He showed up and did a rousing speech. The crowd just loved it. It, it was amazing, and, and once again, President Trump makes history and breaks convention and does what no other president has done before, and he gave an incredible speech. It's such an important issue. It's so just foundational when you think about our country and what we stand for, and for to have a president come out and speak and address the thousands of pro-life Americans that come out every single year is so important, and I think showing that support that he believes in this issue, he has fought for this issue more than any other past president, and it was a really historic moment and an amazing speech. Yeah, and, and when he turns around, he said to the crowd, and I love you. When has the president yeah. ever said that to the people, that I love you and and, and respect your right to life right and you know he said we are fighting for those who have no voice and that's what this is all about that's what the march has always been about we see thousands of people they get panned by the media they mock them they ignore them uh, they ignore all of us who believe in the fundamental right to life and for to have the president of the united states come out and say, I hear you, and we need to support those who don't have a voice is just phenomenal. And it really shows he is there for the people. He is there uh, to protect our fundamental rights. This is what this country was founded upon. And you look at such a troubling time in our politics with you have the Democrat Party just being completely transformed and taken over by the radical left. They are so extreme on this issue now. Not a single one running for president would say they believe in any limits on abortion. Pete Buttigieg justifies abortion up until 
a baby's first breath, and he quotes scripture to back up that claim. It is so extreme. We have to stand up for what's right. And President Trump has been the most pro-life president we've ever had. And it, we look at the contrast, it couldn't be more clear. And we have to keep defending the right to life because Democrats have made it very clear what they stand for. Abortion with no limits, abortion in the ninth month, ripping babies out of the womb, just like President Trump said in that debate with Hillary Clinton. He's been proven right. He's in the White House. And now we have the most pro-life president ever. we got to keep protecting those fundamental rights. You know, I, I have to laugh um, because the day after Trump was inaugurated, we had that woman's march. And I almost came, it got into a fight because I went with someone that was on Mark Stanford's staff and to go because she got tickets for us to go to the inauguration. We stayed actually three blocks behind the Capitol. What a beautiful scene and view. But the next morning, as we're packing up to leave to come back after that fantastic inauguration we attended, um, we were smack dab in the middle of that march with these women with these pink hats, (laughs) hats on their heads. And as we're packing up the car, I see a reverend walking with several women that had these signs and saying, my body, my my choice. And I chastised the reverend. I said, you're a man of God. A man of the Bible, how dare you? Of course, my girlfriend is dragging me away, going, you're going to get us killed. You're going to get us into a fight. But if you look at the Women's March the day after the inauguration and the size of it this past week, it is like maybe one-third of the size. And this is nationwide. They could barely even muster 700,000 people nationwide. This goes to tell you that the right to life movement is stronger than these liberal idiots. It's absolutely so strong. And and every year they come out and it's growing. And the amount of young people, President Trump made a reference to it in his speech. There's so many young people that come to the March for Life. And that just shows the tide is turning on this issue. We have the science on our side. We know when life begins. And we're going to keep defending that. And another thing, the silent majority has been awakened again. And we've seen it on fundamental Bill of Rights, First uh, Amendment issues with religious liberty, and Second Amendment issues just this past week as well. Look at Virginia. Look at the thousands of people who came out to support the right to bear arms that's under attack in the Commonwealth of Virginia, which has also been at the forefront of this radical abortion position taken by the Democrats and Ralph Northam and his appalling, disgusting comments about a baby that is born and then you decide uh, whether you want to keep it alive or not. I mean, that's just appalling, and he's still sitting in office uh, after all of his scandals. And But the fact that we have so many people coming out and taking to the streets and protesting and standing up for these fundamental rights that we've had since our founding is really important. And it's so important to have leadership all the way at the top from the White House having our back on that issue, on the gun rights issue, on life, uh, these very core issues. And we just couldn't be more proud to have a president who's sticking up for these things uh, in a very important time in our country. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's finally that we have a president that has our voice. 
he's not doing these canned speeches. He's not doing these polls and just going with whatever poll goes which way. He's actually speaking our voice, which is I find absolutely amazing. And, you know, when he went to uh, the uh, uh, Milwaukee uh, rally, what I found was that over 20,000 people showed up and, you know, only 15,000, a little over 15,000 were from Wisconsin, which means an additional over 5,000 people traveled from all over just to go to that rally. And out of that rally, almost 58% were not registered Republicans, which I found amazing. Over 4,000 had never voted. And they're showing right. up at these rallies. And you've got one coming up in New Jersey, of all places, which has turned so Democratic. <laughs> Uh, but that's coming up this coming Tuesday. So it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's going to be finally speaking. Absolutely, he's going to be in Wildwood, New Jersey, uh, with Representative Van Drew, a brand new Republican. <laughs> I mean, it's so amazing the Democrats, their overreach, have already made our job easier uh, by we don't have to flip 31 seats, you know, that went for Trump uh, in 2016, where Democrats currently. Sit. We only have to flip 30 because Van Drew left his party because, frankly, his party left him. They've gone so far to the left. It's out of control, and we're seeing this all throughout these rallies. It's amazing to see the numbers. Uh, I looked at the last eight since September, 24.8%. We're at 25% are registered Democrats that come out to see the president, and that's no fluke. That's no you know, uh, minimal number. That's not protesters. That is disaffected Democrats who see that President Trump, he is not just your run-of-the-mill politician. He's not a politician at all, and he's sick of the political games, and he just wants to deliver for the American people, and we've seen it day after day. We talk about a historic day today, the president being at the March for Life. Think of how many historic days he's had just in we're not even a month into this year. He killed Qasem Soleimani, a top terrorist in the world. He signed a historic trade deal with China. On Wednesday, he's about to sign the USMCA. And he showed up to become the first sitting president to be at the March for Life. I mean, these are historic, groundbreaking things. And what's history going to look back on? They, they'll look back on a president who was vindicated and acquitted and one of the most successful presidents we've ever had. And a Democrat party that completely lost their mind. They lost the House of Representatives and they got nothing done for the people. They won't be remembered at all because they haven't done a single thing. And so when you think about all the accomplishments that President Trump's been able to do despite this relentless uh, hysterical resistance attacks I and mean, this this impeachment sh- show trial is such a farce and yet he's still winning and he's still delivering for the people and he's not going to stop you know what i find funny is uh you you listen to the left media and someone must sit there every morning and shoot out to all the media stations the, the notes of the day. These are the words you use today because they say the same exact thing, whether it's MSNBC, CNN, uh, CBS, whatever station you're listening to. It's the same exact words and phrases. So I'm wondering, 
who is it that's sitting there in that little tiny dark room shooting at all these emails? These are your talking points of the day. There's no originality in any of them. <laughs> it is. It's embarrassing. It's just dr- mindless drones repeating the same thing over and over. It's like what we've seen. It, it, nobody could possibly be watching. I know normal person. We have to watch it because uh, this is what we've chosen to suffer through for as a living to do. But nobody's watching this sham. And you hear Adam Schiff, he's just repeating the same thing over and over and over. And it's all a bunch of lies. And then they repeat the same things on cable news. But you know what? They It's really a disgrace. CNN, MSNBC, they didn't show a single second of the president making history today at March for Life. But you know what? The people are watching, and they can go and watch it on Fox, or they can go online and see it. They can go on Twitter. I, sh- I shared the White House link. It has over 300,000 views. People – can see the contrast they're tuning out from the crazy Trump deranged media and the Democrats. They just don't believe them anymore. I mean, here they lied for over two years about the president and Russia. He was completely vindicated. And what are they doing? They're, they're acting as if that never happened, that we never, he was never cleared, that it was all – that it, they're still pushing the same conspiracy theory. The, a day after – we have definitive proof that at least two, if not more, if not earlier, of the FISA's warrants to spy on a Trump campaign aid were illegal. And yet they're still pushing this disgusting lie that was created by Hillary Clinton to launch this collusion crazy conspiracy theory. They're still pushing it. It's been absolutely discredited. It's a disgrace and it's an an insult to the 63 million Americans, and that's a growing number, by the way, who voted for President Trump and are now going to vote for him in 2020. We decide elections, not radical Democrats in the House of Representatives who are just drunk on their own power after what they always wanted to do. No, Americans will show up. We know the president did nothing wrong, and we're going to show up so big and so loud in November that they're they're going to have to come up with something else. It's moved from Russia to Ukraine. They're going to have to go to a third country <laughs> because they, they're not going to be able to explain it away. What I find you interesting know, I just is the fact that um, in the black community, Trump has, a, I think, over 30 percent support in the black community. And that's something that the Democrats are very fearful of because if those, um, if that support is translated into votes, the Democrat party is doomed. But but Curtis, you got to remember that's only people that are admitting that they support him. You're going to have a lot of closet Trump supporters that because of family problems or their spouses on the opposite side of the legal, of the political spectrum, they're not going to admit it. They'll go into the vote and the way we, you say so it's higher number honestly i think am i right or wrong liz i absolutely think there's always the hidden trump voter in all these public polls absolutely i mean i mean look at what the media does why would you want to tell a stranger especially a stranger from a news outlet or from some polling company why would you want to tell them uh that you support president trump look what they do 
look what they did. I mean, here we are a year later. But look what they tried to do to Nicholas Sandman. Uh, tried to ruin his life uh, because he wore a MAGA hat to the March for Life and stood there and was very polite to someone who was harassing him. I mean – what they? Why would you tell a stranger? Absolutely, there's a hidden Trump effect, just like there was, you know, t- throughout 2016. And as it got closer and closer, I was just so convinced President Trump was going to win. There's just no way. I've seen it. You know, at a certain point, the anecdotal evidence just adds up to something more. Every Uber I took, you know, every taxi, they were always like, yeah, you know, I kind of like the guy. And they would whisper it. And all everywhere you went, you would have people come up to you. I had my my high school reunion. I went the week before the vote. And uh, people had seen me, you know, on Fox, so they knew I was a conservative. But uh, they come up, they came up to me. I can't tell you how many people my age uh, whispering, yeah, you know, I like him. And, you know, at a certain point, this is not just anecdotal. It's real, and people are coming out. And it's the same thing today, but it's actually growing. It's growing because the party, the the opposition to him has gone so overboard. They've completely lost it. They have just – their overreaction is turning off members of their own party. It's certainly turning off independents. Moderates, everyone, because they see, well, they say, wait a minute, you said the sky was going to fall a million times. The country's actually doing great. I have more money in my paycheck. The country is better off. My family's better off. And hey, the guy is, you know, he said he was going to do these things. He said he was going to renegotiate NAFTA. He did it. He said he was going to use tariffs and get a better trade deal with China. He did it. All of these, he said he was going to defeat ISIS in Syria. They destroyed the caliphate. He did it. So you look at all these things, and if you're an objective observer whatsoever, you have to say, this guy is a man of his word, and he's fighting for the country. And the Democrats. And don't forget the embassy. Yeah, absolutely. That's just like him showing up to the March for Life. You know, past presidents were, Republican presidents were pro life. Uh, they did some good things, but the same thing with the embassy. They promised uh, we're going to move, you know, we're going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital. They didn't. And President Trump, he gets in and he says, why not? Let's do it. Let's go. And, you know, does it weigh under budget and <laughs> uh, before <laughs> schedule? And it's amazing And because he that's what he cares about. And you needed somebody like that to come in from outside the system. Kellyanne Conway had a great op-ed in Washington Post the other day, uh, yesterday, I think. And it, it, it goes unnoticed or you forget or you realize, but it was a passing line, a note in the op-ed. It wasn't even really the main point. But here's the guy. This is the first time in history that he hadn't held elective office before, and he hadn't been a general or served in the military. And he did the what's never been done before, and that just is. It shows we needed an outsider who wasn't a politician, who wanted to shake up Washington and get it back to some common sense. And boy, has he ever, and we still got so much work to do, but the accomplishments, the list is just stunning and amazing, and we've never seen anything like it. No, I'm going to make a prediction here because I know Trump is going to take the national popular vote, and there's been that movement across the nation from the left to pass the resolutions or legislations 
to circumvent what our founding fathers wanted us to have with the Electoral College, to actually twist it. I'm going to say that as soon as Trump wins the national popular vote this coming November, you're going to see states take those resolutions, rescind them, uh, reverse the legislation, and you're going to see the national popular vote movement go out the window. I had my county <laughs> I GOP certainly meeting. hope so because it would be devastating <laughs> if we got rid of it. It would be awful if we got rid of the uh, electoral college. It just really would because you would never have we would never have a voice in so many states. Uh, it would just be horrible. Well, I had my county GOP meeting last night, which is why I'm looking a little ragged around the college because it went really long. And we have had an increase in people registering as Republicans of 230 percent over wow. 2016, between 2016 to today, 230 percent increase. We had one of our board officers be approached in the grocery store and someone walked up to him and handed her her registration saying, this is my check and my dues. I want to join the candy RNC. This is what. And I'm seeing this in just little my little tiny corner of South Carolina. Imagine the rest of this nation seeing this same resurgence. Absolutely. And for the the data that we get from the rallies, Brad Parscale um, has identified 2.4 million voters. And that's your popular vote right there, right, if <laughs> you think about it. But 395,000 of them, almost 396,000, didn't vote for President Trump last time. So uh, that's a huge number, and that's going to be growing. Uh, that's just from the rallies so far. We're going to be uh, hitting the campaign trail so much uh, coming up. President Trump just never stops. Uh, but it's going to be ama- – I think it's going to be so amazing to see. And uh, like I said, they're going to have to find a third country. I don't know what the Democrats are going to do. <laughs> They've still never accepted 2016. Then they'll, 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 they'll never accept it, but then they'll have to be moving on to getting to accept 2020. And if this impeachment sham has proven anything, Adam Schiff's just come out and said it at this point. He says, you know, Americans should decide American elections, but we just can't take that chance. And he's saying this cannot be decided at the ballot box because we can't uh, be sure that this will be fair. And they are just out and out saying it. If we lose, we'll say it was rigged, and they won't accept it. And that is dangerous, and it's appalling. And they're what it comes down to, they're just the worst biggest sore losers that we've ever seen and that's that's who they are but people see through that and Americans don't like a sore loser they like fairness they like justice they see what's going on here and um it's everything like everything else they've tried to overturn 2016 it backfires every single time and it's backfiring again right now <laughs> well it's funny because over my shoulder people want to look I've got my Trumpy bear on my uh, bookcase with my wearing his <laughs> mega hat. <laughs> True story. For Christmas, I bought a Santa uh, suit, a Trump mask, and I had stuffed him, put him on the easy chair in my living room with Trumpy bear on his lap. Uh, if you ever run across uh, Daphne Barak, ask her to show you the picture of my living room with Donald Trump 
in a Santa suit with Trumpy bears in his lap. True story. And I said, I just want to trigger any liberal that may be walking into my house. Oh, it's, I mean, it's amazing. The Trump campaign, the official website, uh, selling merchandise today for, inspired by the March for Life, and one of them is a onesie that says, you know, I cry less than liberals. And so it's very true. Uh, it's amazing. It, and we put out a great video today at the RNC. We tweeted it out from our great chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel. Uh, that this isn't about facts. This is about revenge. And we've compiled a video just from the beginning of President Trump's election. And just there's clip after clip of crying Democrats and that famous person, woman who's, you know, screaming to the heavens when he's sworn in. Um, but clip after clip and over and over and over. Democrats are just distraught by 2016. And not all of them. But the hardcore radical left, and most of normal Americans, Republican or Democrat or independent, they've gotten over the 2016 election. You know, they got over it about, I don't know, November 9th. I mean, this is nuts. But you look at the hardcore who really runs the party now, and they are still distraught over this, and they're mad at the American people, and they'll they'll never forgive you. They will never forgive us for voting for President Trump, and that's what this is about, and they've completely lost it. But again, if they would have just accepted it, if they would have just accepted and realized all the many reasons why President Trump won and the issues he ran on and how he wants to work for the country and put us in a better position, they would be in such better position politically. But they've been incapable of doing that, uh, and they've been incapable of working with him when he when he wants to do things and he wants to get deals. And look, he just made a deal with China, he just made a deal with Mexico, Canada. He did that over a year ago. It sat forever on Nancy Pelosi's desk because she didn't want to give him a win. But he is a negotiator. He wants to make deals. And Democrats, they're not interested in that. They're just interested in their power uh, and trying to smear a good man who's been getting some amazing things done for the country. Well, and I just want to know, who's the script writer for Adam Schiff? Because they come up with some really, he's really a amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who's the scriptwriter for him? They come up with some imaginative. Well, the transcript said this. Uh, excuse me, that's not the same transcript I read. <laughs> I mean, where does he come up with this stuff? I mean, does he dream this stuff up and scribble it down for the next day? It's amazing. Can this man it's even tell the truth? Does he know what it is? It's embarrassing. He spent how, how many hours this week just flat out lying. And, you know, it's like we're stuck for the Democrats. They're stuck in the Obama-Biden years. They're stuck when Ukraine never had the military aid, when Russia had all its flexibility and invaded Crimea and the Obama administration did nothing. I mean, what are they talking about? These hawks all of a sudden, where were they during the Cold War? I mean, you have you have these <laughs> Democrats that suddenly sound like they want to invade Russia. It is insane when this president has been the toughest. He has armed Ukraine three times. I mean, it is a fantasy world. There's so many lies. There's so many distortions. But that's Adam Schiff. That's all he does. That's what he's been doing for three years now. 
and you know he has zero credibility but the this is the man this is who the democrats decided should make the case the person who lied about collusion is still lying about it for over 2 years the guy who lied about the FISA court abuse and tried to cover that up the guy who lied about meeting with the so-called whistleblower he's lied to the American people again and again and again. And that's what's so insulting. They think that anyone's going to believe him. He has absolutely zero credibility. Well, I want to give you some good news because there was an article in town hall by uh, Leah Barcolis, or however we pronounce her name. She wrote that uh, there's a, a university pr- professor by the name of Alan Lickman. And for the last nine presidential races, he has accurately predicted how the Electoral College will come out. And he said it's based on 13 key factors. And he said if you lose six of these factors, then Trump will not win. But out of the 13 factors, he's only lost three. And the one he lost is the party mandate after the midterm elections. The incumbent party holds more seats in the House of Representatives than after the previous midterm elections. So that's one down. But he has won. There is no one contesting his nomination. Uh, He's the incumbent. That's two. There is no significant third party. That's three. So Bloomberg, forget about it. Um, The short-term economy is excellent. The long-term economy is absolutely excellent. Uh, The policy change, he has affected major changes in national policy. You think about that. What we're, we'll be facing the closer we get to the election will be social unrest. So that'd be number two. And the impeachment is the scandal that he faces, but it's going to backfire on those. So that's like a that's a half. I'll give them a half on that one. He has had no major foreign or military failure. He has had major foreign and military successes. Look at China. Um, look at the, the trade bills he's got now with Canada and Mexico. He has charisma. And the challenger in the Democratic field, name me one that has any charisma. So out of these 13, he's winning with 10. This, this Absolutely. is very good. Absolutely. And, you know, it's because he's followed through. He's been so consistent. What's amazing is to see the Democrats spinning themselves up in circles, just contradicting themselves, completely illiterate to history, and saying one thing one week and the complete opposite the next. Oh, this is so urgent. And then we're going to sit on it for 28 days. Oh, our case is so overwhelming. Oh, we need more evidence. And it's so utterly incoherent. Because they have to, because they're lying and they don't have a case. Um, but President Trump, you know, he is so consistent. Just, I encourage your listeners. We just had the third anniversary of his inaugural address, his inauguration. Go back and listen to that speech. It's not that long. It's about 15, 17 minutes or so. He is followed through. He said the same thing then. He said, no more on this day forward. It's going to be America first, whether it's foreign affairs, whether it's trade, the economy, issue after issue. And look what he's done. It's so utterly consistent. What did he say? No collusion. 
No obstruction. What did what happened? No collusion. No obstruction. All these things he said, and they were right. And they keep changing. Oh, eight quid pro quos. Oh, never mind. Not a single quid pro quo. Oh, let's pull test it. It's not even in the articles because it didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, all these things. President Trump has had the same defense, and it always has been because it's what he believes and it's what he did, and he has been the same person. That's what people love about him. About him, he tells it to you straight, and he's the same guy behind closed doors as he is in public. He is a straight shooter, and he cares about the country, and that's what this has always been about. And it's been so consistent, and that's how you know he's all—he's the one that's telling the truth. Democrats, they just twist themselves up in knots. They say a million different things. They contradict themselves over and over and over and over again uh, because they're not telling the truth. It's just a political smear. It's just a political stunt to try to get political gain. But they because they know they know they cannot compete with this. They know they cannot they don't have a candidate they believe in. They don't think any of these guys can make it. They and they don't have any accomplishments and they look at what President Trump, who's been proven right again and again and again, how do you compete with that? And in a sense, you know, Adam Schiff is right. That's not fair. It's not fair to have to run against <laughs> President Trump, who's done so much for the country and so much for Americans. It's not a fair fight whatsoever. Well, give you another boy of hope. Uh, even Van Jones said that there's no Democrat in the field that can take Trump out. When you have Van Jones right. saying, guys, you you can't beat him. <laughs> And he's a smart guy. Van Jones is a smart guy. And uh, absolutely, that was the reaction after watching the debate. And it was any normal person's reaction. They've got to be very scared, uh, these Democrats, because they don't have anybody that can take it to President Trump. They just – it's just out of – I mean, talk about big league. He's just out of their league. It's just not even a comparison. And so – Oh Yeah, we're extremely confident and happy, but we're going to keep working because it's so important. We're going to we're going to up until Election Day just be out there constantly working to reelect this president and win back the House because that's so important. We see what the Democrats do when they're in power. We got to win back the House Ooh. because there's so much more we can do for the country. Absolutely. Liz, it has been a pleasure having you on. I always have a blast with you. God bless for all the hard work you do. And tell Gabriella, thank you for sending people like you over to this show so that we can get the message out and America know that we are in good hands. God bless you, Liz. Thank you so much. All right. Liz Harrington, you can find her at GOP.com. Uh, we got our guest in the room, and I do see people up in the switchboard on the studio. I'll try to get to everyone after we start introducing our next guest. want to welcome to the show a guy with a lot of guts, uh, Mark Robinson. Uh, you know him for his YouTube video uh, when he uh, 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 approached the Greensboro City Council in North Carolina telling him, keep your hands off my guns. Over a million hits. Good afternoon, Mark. How are you today? Hey, how you doing? Oh, it is our pleasure. I understand you are running for office uh, up in North Carolina for the seat of lieutenant governor. Good luck. I am. I am. We announced our candidacy, uh, our, our candidacy 
uh, let's see, July 2nd. We did at the exact same building where the city council speech took place. And that city council speech now is up to probably somewhere between 150, around 150 to maybe 200, 200 million views. It's, uh, that wow. thing has just gone supernova. I mean, it's just, it's huge. <laughs> Everywhere I go, there are people who, who uh, have seen that speech and shared that speech and, uh, I, it's just incredible. I just I still can't believe how 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 viral that thing actually went, and how many times it's been seen. It just keeps reoccurring over and over again on on social media, uh, and it's just it's it's it, it's really crazy. Yeah, well, I I know in South Carolina here we just recently passed the initiative that the governor and lieutenant governor run on the same ticket, uh, but in North Carolina yeah. you run on separate tickets. It, that's correct. We run completely independent. As a matter of fact, right now we have a deep blue Democrat as a governor who is nothing but an obstructionist. He's not helping North Carolina at all. And we have a <coughs> excuse me. We have a deep red uh, lieutenant governor who is absolutely wonderful, conservative, strong conservative. Who's uh, the lieutenant governor now? But he is actually running against the uh, the governor in uh, November. So uh, we're hoping to unseat uh, our uh, our Democratic governor, replace him with a Republican governor, and then replace this uh, conservative lieutenant governor with a, with another conservative lieutenant governor, which would be me. So that's our well, goal. You know, you have a you have a very curious background uh, because I was reading, you know, what you had up on your page and stuff. Um, people don't understand that there are rural areas here in the South uh, where you someone as young as you are grew up with no electricity and in very, very poor circumstances, uh, you went through foster care. So you know the system and yet your mother was able to unite the family back together once again. So, you know, in areas such like that, like I know in South Carolina, they would be heavily Democrat, but where was your epiphany Mm -hmm. that brought you over to the conservative side? Well, let me let me clarify on, on where I grew up. Now, I grew up in the city. Uh, I grew up in the heart of Greensboro, uh, on the east side of Greensboro, which is the city. And uh, we did have electricity. Uh, and, of course, we had running water. But any of the, uh, the standard <laughs> extras that you had in the 1970s, a telephone, a car, carpet on the floor, uh, central air, any of those things, we had none of that, up to and including uh, color television. We had none of that. Um, we we didn't we didn't have any of those extras. We did have electricity and running water. Uh, and like I said, we did live in the city. And I would suspect that at that point in time, uh, in the 1970s, when I was coming along, that most of the people in our neighborhood were probably Democrats. But in my family, we never really talked about politics, ever. Uh, most of our conversation was centered on uh, faith, and it was set, centered on fairness, and it was just really just what was right, what was wrong. Uh, Republican-Democrat uh, politics never entered the picture. We were heavily focused on what was trying to figure out what was right. And I think that is the reason why I am a conservative now. Because conservatives, we, we by and large, we fight for what's right. 
And I believe that anybody that's grown up really, truly fighting for real, for real justice, uh, really fighting for what's right, not this urge that justice that the left has uh, imagined in his mind where everybody ought to, uh, everything should be equal because certainly everything is not equal because people don't put out equal effort. But what's right, and what's right is uh, the things that conservatives fight for, you know, the standing up for the unborn, uh, standing up for for true economic freedom for everybody, uh, for capitalism, um, you know, for free trade, those those type of things, those type of issues. So the things that we stand up for uh, are, are based on fairness, and they're based on just plain right. Well, you know, they, across the country we see the gun grab. And you are known for your stance on the Second Amendment, and you are an NRA spokesperson. Um, Give me your feedback on this rally that just occurred this past week in Virginia, because uh, we heard there was going to be a counter-protest, there was going to be violence. Um, When I hold a Tea Party rally, we come with garbage Mm -hmm. bags. We leave the place cleaner than when we got there. That's what I saw. I saw the rally exactly people right. cleaning up after themselves. That's exactly right. Uh, uh, I'll give you my take on it, uh, and this is my real this is my real feeling on it. You know, I've read a few things out there. Where people were saying, "Well, you know, sure we had a rally, but you know, what we really got to do is got to get out and vote, or saying, or or saying, you know, rallying is not going to do any good. Rallying and and coming together as a as a group of uh, determined." Patriots who are showing your support for this cause, it does all the good in the world. When people who, some people that are not even drawn into this issue yet, saw all those people out there gathered in Virginia, uh, they took notice, and then they began to ask questions about what was going on. I guarantee it, people began to ask questions about why all these people at the Capitol. Then when they looked into it, found out what the issue was, found out how vital the issue was, and then on top of that, saw how magnificently these people displayed themselves when they went when they went up there. They were peaceful, and they even up and they even cleaned up behind themselves. That's going to draw a lot more people into this call. That's going that's going to inspire people to get out there, get involved in their local parties, get involved in what's going on at the local level, get involved in what's going on on the state level, and to vote for strong conservatives are going to back the call the cause that these people. We're marching for those who say it doesn't do any good. They're just being foolish. That is how you get people out to vote by making displays like that and by proving the mass media and the leftists to be wrong. Who said that it's going to be a white supremacist rally and it's going to be violent? Nothing could have been farther from the truth. It was a highly diverse crowd of American patriots who gathered with guns. Nobody get got hurt and they left the place spotless. There could be no greater promotion for our cause than what those patriots did in Virginia uh, on on the twentieth. No greater, no greater ad, no greater, you know, no greater example. So, I really believe it did a whole lot of good. It inspired people. It got people charged up. It got them ready. And now we're ready to hit the ground running for these twenty twenty elections and get some strong conservatives uh, elected in Virginia and in all the states across this nation. Yeah, I just loved watching the footage of that, and especially when I saw the guys walking around with the garbage bags and people going out of their way to find someone with one of them so they can throw whatever trash they collected out. And it says a lot for what mainstream America is about. Um, I want to switch a little bit uh, over 
because you know you are a person of faith. Your your mom made sure of that, uh, raised you real well. But we've had an attack on our Judeo Christian faith. We're seeing a rise in anti-Semitism uh, from yes. from the left, and yet we have to pander to radical Islam, and yet we have to then ignore our own faith. You know, we've, we're seeing right. in places such as uh, Minnesota where you have prayer rooms for Muslims and the foot baths, but yet if someone shows up with wearing a crucifix, a skull cap, or carrying a Bible— they are berated. Yep. They are sent home. Heaven forbid you have an American right. flag on your T-shirt. Right, right. See, here, here's the problem. Uh, and I, I'll tell anybody this, and I don't care what they say. The tenets of Christianity built this nation. This nation is built expressly upon the tenets of, of, of Christianity. Judeo-Christian principles is what our Constitution is based on. It's what every state constitution in this union is based on. That's where we our law is based on Judeo-Christian principles. This country was built with uh, Judeo-Christian principles as the fuel that drives it. You cannot put a different fuel in this thing and expect it to work. No more than you can expect to go out and pour kerosene into uh, the, the gas tank of a Corvette and expect it to crank up and run for long. We continue to pour... Uh, this, this anti-Christian, anti-Semitic message throughout this nation, uh, we're going to see some real hard times because our system was not built to work side-by-side uh, side with the tenets of, is, of Islam. I'm sorry. Now, people have the right to practice Islam, sure, but this nation should not be bowing down or changing its ways, changing its rules, or changing its laws to fit uh, uh, it, to fit the religion of Islam or any other religion. Uh, it should be uh, run and administered uh, by the tenets it was created on. And I'm sorry if people don't like this, but it was created on Judeo-Christian principles. And this push to eliminate uh, those values from our system is causing chaos across the board. It's causing chaos in our schools. It's causing chaos in our government. It's causing chaos in the law. Uh, I mean, there's so many, it's, it's even causing chaos in the workplace. Uh, so Smart. Uh, we have got to get back to those principles and make sure that we hold those principles dear because those are the principles that help fuel this nation and drive this nation and help it uh, run successfully. That is true. Mark, um, I was just curious, um, have you ever gotten any pushback from um, black organizations that are basically um, Democrat? in your area for what you believe not in? Not yet. Not yet. But I suspect that when we get through this primary and we get to the general election, uh, I would think it'd be funny. It would be funny and uncanny and a bunch of other adjectives. If the <laughs> NAACP would come out against a, a, a black man who's been married for 30 years with two children and two grandchildren and has been a lifelong resident of this state, uh, you know, it, it embodies everything that the NAACP would purport that it would say that it supports. It would be very odd if they would support a white leftist, a socialist, over over a black man who dedicated his life to this country and to his community and family. That would be a very strange thing. 
and it would certainly prove exactly who the NAACP uh, are. And I do suspect that that's what will happen in the general election uh, should I get through the primary. Wow. That says a lot. That says a whole mouthful. You know, originally the NAACP was founded by Republicans, and it just got usurped. It got completely usurped. It no longer stands for it should. That's right. For my money, it stands for the advancement of the Communist Party. Because they don't, they don't care about <laughs> colored people or any American people. They simply care about the Marxist socialist agenda that the left is pushing and the money that's behind it. And that's, that's the only thing that they do. Right here in North Carolina, the voters, 54% of North Carolina voters voted for voter ID in this state. And the NAACP sued because of that because I guess this organization is supposed to be dedicated to the advancement of black people. Obviously, don't think that black people in the state have advanced enough to be able to go down and get a free ID. So they sued over that issue, and one leftist judge has held that up now and held up the will of uh, 54% of the uh, voters of North Carolina. Millions of North Carolina's voters' will has been stifled by one leftist judge on behalf of the NAACP. It's absolutely ridiculous what that organization stands up for. Well, you know, it's funny because we passed the same law here in South Carolina when Nikki Haley was governor, and she was rather clever because she foresaw their attempt to file a lawsuit. And what she did was, all right, the law goes into effect on such and such a date. So from this date to this date, the state will come, pick you up at home, take you to the motor vehicles, wait for you, and take you back home. If that's your excuse that you can't get there, then we will provide free of charge, courtesy of the taxpayers, transportation. And they're saying, oh, there's going to be 5 million voters uh, disenfranchised. And something like about 200 people use the free ride for the ID. That's exactly right. (laughs) I've had people say stuff. I had someone say this, make this ridiculous statement to me on social media. They said, I made a, a post about voter ID. And their comment was, you really need to lay off the voter ID issue. Don't you understand that a lot of poor people on welfare can't get an ID? And I had to remind this person, you have to have an ID to get welfare. (laughs) You know, that's the kind of nonsense. Yes, you do. That's the kind of nonsense these people are saying, that poor people on welfare can't get an ID when you have to have an ID to get welfare. I mean, I have not heard one good excuse why people shouldn't have to show their ID to vote. The same way they have to show their ID in the bank, the same way they have to show their ID to get into the federal building that that judge works in, and the same way they have to show their ID in order to be able to exercise their Second Amendment rights. To fly, to get alcohol, they need ID? Exactly. We could we could be here all day naming things you need to, uh, your ID to get. But for some reason, that vote thing is just, it flies past them, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> and to get, and I don't know if you remember this, but um, the Democrat around the time they had their convention, they put up barriers. Yeah. At the and same time, while they, saying walls, while they were saying barriers don't work, so That's it. their own That's people exactly couldn't right. get in because of That's the barriers. They're the king. And ID. They're the king of barriers. The yeah, they're the king of barriers. Oh, yeah, they're yeah. the king, king of them. They had they had barriers up so black folks couldn't even join the Democratic Party uh, back before the 1960s. They, you know, a black person in the South couldn't even join the Democratic Party. 
and they made sure by putting up barriers. They're the king of obstruction. And in this case, they're obstructing the vote being honest by making sure that any and everybody they want can get to vote in, in the election as many times as they want to vote in, in the election. It's all driven by their desire to commit voter fraud, which, again, the Democrats historically have been the king of voter, of voter fraud in this, this nation. Well, I've got a special shout-out from uh, someone over on Facebook, a friend of ours for a long time, a fellow Tea Partier, uh, Emery McClendon, uh, who's uh, yep. giving you best wishes for your run. Um, I've known you. Emery for quite a long time. Yes, yes, he's, he's great. I, I keep up with him on Facebook. He's a strong conservative and a strong patriot. He's exactly what uh, exactly the kind of person we need in this country to help push this message and to draw in new people and to – to fight back against this narrative that, uh, that all black people are victims and all black people are de- Democrats and we're all, you know, kowtowing with these leftists. You know, I'm not with it. I, I never have been. Uh, and uh, I, I want every person uh, of color to take a good long look in the mirror and ask themselves, if you're a Democrat, you should be a Democrat because you believe in what they're saying. Far too many of us say one thing around the dinner table and around the water cooler and to our friends and when we're in the car with family and, you know, when we're at work, we say one thing. But then as soon as we go into voting booth, all of a sudden, we turn into Democrats, yeah. leftists, liberals, Marxists. It just doesn't make any sense. And, and in most cases, we're voting against our own self-interest because we're doing things that shoot us in the foot. I'll give you a perfect example of that. Sanctuary City. If the city, of, let's say, this here in North Carolina, the city of Durham decides it's going to be a sanctuary city. Who's going to come to a sanctuary city? People who have entered the country illegally. People who entered, the, and when you classify people that have entered the country illegally, not only are we talk about the people who have maybe overstayed their visas or the people who have come here for peaceful purposes just to work, we also have to include in the people who have come in to peddle drugs, peddle humans, and commit acts of terror and join gangs. And where do you think those folks are going to go when they get here once they've crossed the border illegal, legally? They're going to go to the poorest communities, and now, and by and large, a lot of those poor communities are filled with, with black people, and they're going to go there and ply their wares, which is going to make those, those neighborhoods even more dangerous. And a lot of times, uh, that's what's happened with these sanctuary cities. And black people, by and large, are going and voting for Democrat politicians who are turning their cities and their communities into sanctuary communities and inviting these dangerous people in. We're absolutely voting against our own self-interest, and we've got to get the people that are going to start speaking up against it to turn the tide. All right. Well, we've got someone that's been waiting patiently to ask a question, Mark. So let me bring this individual on. Uh, his name is Tom. Tom, you're on the air live with Southern Sense. I'm your hostess, Annie, the radio chick. Our guest is Mark Robinson, candidate for running for North Carolina lieutenant governor. Do you have a question or a comment, sir? Absolutely, yeah. So um, I have something I'd like to ask afterwards. I guess I'd just like to make a quick comment on something you guys had said prior. Um, I'm definitely someone, you know, I'm I'm definitely someone when it comes to, um, I guess, like thinking about all, all, all of these things. Sometimes I get so frustrated with the things that we focus on in terms of like politics, um, these issues that are not necessarily issues that I feel like we don't really focus on the stuff I'd really like to see us focus on education. Why is our education so poor in this country? Healthcare. Mm -hmm. My dad is very sick and he had to wait 
you know, two and a half months to get a treatment that he should have been able to get right away because his mm-hmm. health and because uh, Medicare would not actually cover it, right? And I think too often we're getting caught up in these these issues that are not really issues. You know, when I think about the voter uh, ID thing, right? I'm definitely someone who just likes to look at facts. And I think when you look at the voter uh, ID, the reality is, is, is this is why voter ID is generally tough. It's, it's kind of what I like to call a um, solution in search of an actual problem, right? The actual amount of fraudulent votes that have occurred that have been tracked and properly looked at is probably around, it's, it's somewhere around 31 in the, in, in the last election, which is not really a legitimate problem, right? But with the voter ID, right? 11% of uh, U.S. citizens don't actually have one, right? And when you think about it, the reason is is that they cost between $75 and $175. And sometimes in order to obtain one, if you're an elderly person in Texas, for example, it can be up to 170 miles away from where you live to go actually like get one. And so if you actually look at it, the amount of people that don't own IDs is disproportionately towards the poor. African-Americans of, of, of the people that don't own an ID, 25% of them are African-Americans. And so I think just there are reasons behind that. And like what I kind of like to get past is like we, we all need to kind of head towards a little bit the center here and realize that everyone's not bad and everyone's not, not good. And we, we just need to make sure as a people that we're focusing on the things that matter. So I guess um, the question that I have is net um, – um, uh, neutrality uh, is a big topic that I'm actually focused on in this upcoming election. And um, I'm wondering kind of, is that a topic that you've taken a focus on? I can give you a background on it. And like, what do you, what, what do you think about what's, what's been going on with, with that? All right. Well, you Go ahead, Mark. And we also have Clarence McKee on the line. So, Go ahead, Mark, and then we'll bring on Clarence. I'll try to make I'll try to make this as quick as possible. Uh, I'll try to answer all three things. Net neutrality is not something I focused on on my campaign. Education is something that I've been totally focused on in my campaign here in North Carolina because it will be the biggest part of my job as lieutenant governor. Uh, the main thing that I want to see done in in education uh, in here in North Carolina is I, I we need to stop indoctrinating our children. Bottom line. Right now, as it stands in our public schools, we are not teaching our children. We're indoctrinating them. We're not teaching them how to think. We're teaching them what to think. Our schools are entirely too full of social engineering. Uh, my main focus on my first term is going to be on trying to get grades one through six. The only thing we're going to have in those schools is, is four things. We're going to have discipline and order, and then we're going to have reading, writing, and mathematics. There's no reason for young children to be learning about gender fluidity and any issue like that. They should be learning how to read, how to write, and do mathematics. That's what we should be teaching our children in elementary school. So education, I'll have to cut it short there. And net neutrality, like I said, is not an issue. As far as voter ID goes, here it is. This, And I'm going to say this plain. This stuff about people not having an ID and not being able to get access to an ID, that is absolutely 100% a bunch of garbage. That is garbage. People can get an ID. And here in North Carolina, we have made every concession to make sure that anybody who needs an ID will have access to it. And we need to be doing everything we can to secure our votes as much as we secure our money, as much as we secure our identity. We need to be doing that for the purposes of keeping the integrity of the vote. 
And when we talk about being small numbers of voter fraud, that makes a huge difference in municipal elections. When you're talking about the difference of the wind being between maybe 50 and, and 75, sometimes less than that vote, it makes a huge difference. And then that makes a huge difference in those municipalities with somebody who should have won is actually cheated out of their vote. So, you know, just the smallest minute bit of cheating in any vote makes a huge difference. And we need to be pushing towards making our vote absolutely 100% bulletproof. Of course, it will never be. But it starts with, with solidifying it and keeping that integrity by getting that ID and getting voter ID. It's common sense legislation that protects everybody. Yeah, because you got to remember that I believe there's 12 or 14 states that have vote harvesting. And that means people are going out and getting someone with no ID to fill out a voter form and turn that ballot in. California had Absolutely. huge, huge amounts of, of, of cheating. And Absolutely. they know that elections were actually turned over in traditionally red areas. They turned blue exactly because right. of the vote harvesting. And we have it here in That's South Carolina exactly right. where any individual can turn in 12 ballots. Now, who's checking the ID? That's, Who is filling out those exactly ballots? Right. Without, you have no without, idea. Without the voter ID and some other things put in place, I'm telling you, where it really will hurt, will really hurt the, the vote, not maybe necessarily in the big races, presidential, Senate, things like that. It's really going to hurt at the local level and these municipal. Uh, municipalities when there's a very small turnout of votes. It does not take a whole lot of fraud to turn those votes one way or the other. And to protect from that, we need to have voter ID. Anybody that says any different is just dead wrong. Well, let's bring on Cyrus McKee because he's waiting so patiently in the background and he's a he's a darling. I love this man. Good afternoon, Cyrus. How are you today? Pretty good. It's getting warmer in Florida for changes. Up to 60. Uh, I think it's about the same over here. We have the rain. I'm about three hours north of Curtis. Um, we've got with us Robinson, who's running for lieutenant governor in North Carolina. So I want you yep. to be a third wheel between Curtis and I with Mark and challenge him. Challenge him. Uh, Mark, he said, it sounded pretty good to me. <laughs> Mark, you had mentioned that you. Yeah, you wanted to make a cornerstone of your campaign and what you do as lieutenant governor, education, and something we have been doing here in South Carolina has been expanding school choice. Where do you Good. stand with yeah. school choice, and how would you like to see it, it be done? I think I think that's the key. I think that's the key because you know uh, when you give the government a monopoly on education, they tend to do whatever they want to do as bad as they want to do it because they know there's no competition. You know, of course, no competition. But when we have parents that have options, when we have parents that can say, okay, look, I, 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 you're not doing the job anymore. I'm bringing my kid out. I'm sending my kid to a charter school or private school, or I'm taking my kid home uh, to educate uh, my child. Uh, that's going to prompt these public schools to get their act together. I really believe that. And even if it doesn't prompt them to get their act together, it gives those parents the right to be able to, to say, look, my kid doesn't have to be stuck in this pitiful private, uh, public school that's not doing the job of, of education uh, by the standards that I, that I see fit. So school choice is paramount. It is absolutely mm -hmm. paramount. And, you know, legislature has got to, 
conservative legislators have got to step up and make sure that they protect school choice by making sure that these uh, public school, the public schools and uh, public school boards and public school administrations cannot uh, do things or make moves to try to limit uh, school choice in any kind of way by putting undue pressure on chart, whether it be on charter schools or homeschoolers. Uh, those folks need to be free to educate their children as they see fit. Uh, and yep. it's, it, to me, it's almost like going to church. If I don't like where I'm going to church, I can, you know, I can get my family and leave and go to another church and nobody can say anything about it. To me, education is the same way. If I don't like the public school they're in or, or private ch- or charter school they're in, I should have the right to pull my child out and homeschool them, and uh, nobody should be able to stand in the way of that. So, yeah, school choices, like I said, paramount in the education system. One thing that happened well, here in Florida is- last year, in the governor's race, okay. Ron DeSantis got 100,000 black female votes, about 18%, basically because of school issue, school choice, and it's yeah. a big winner. Uh, the president's big on school choice. He's got half a billion dollars in his 2020 budget for school choice. Uh, unlike Obama, who was for eight straight years opposed the mm-hmm. District of Columbia voucher program, and if it weren't yep. for if it weren't for uh, John Boehner and some of the Republicans, it would have died. But meanwhile, Trump yep. has got in his new a lot of money for that program. And here's Obama That's right. and all of the teachers unions and the Democratic Party and the black leadership are in the hip pocket of the teachers unions who oppose giving yep. these poor black kids a break and their parents. And the majority of blacks right. support it. So I'm glad that our next uh, governor up there is on that right side. Because it's a winner yeah. for black folks. And I would hope that the president yeah. this year and all candidates, especially black candidates, push yeah. school choice with black That's women right. and black. It's very important. That's right. That's right. It, it gives because uh, that's a very good point. It goes right to the heart of something that I've been uh, saying for many years. It gives people their power back. Yes. When your child is stuck in a in a in a a, a poorly run public school, and there's no other option for you as as a mother, as a father, you feel powerless. But when you mm-hmm. can go to that school and say, look, you haven't gotten your act together, I'm taking my kid out of here and I'm putting them somewhere where they can thrive and get a better education, it puts the power back in your hand. It emboldens mm-hmm. you. And not only that, not only that, I'm convinced that when people have school choice and get involved with their child's schooling, it bleeds over into their into, – uh, them getting involved in other areas of, of the political realm, too. They start to see the political corruption involved in schools. It leads them to see the political corruption uh, involved in their with their city councils and their county commissioners, and it really pulls them over on the side of conservatives because they see that corruption. And uh, like I said, and, and like you said, it's a, it's a hot issue, and it's something we need to continue to stand strong behind because not only will it be a boon for uh, – for the conservative movement, uh, it's going to do wonders for the education of those children in those communities. And also what's really well, great, it gives black kids and their parents a chance to get out of the social engineering in these public schools. Like mommy has, two, uh, mommy has or Carol has two mommies and Johnny has two daddies, Absolutely. all those kind of right. things, there's, prayer in school. There's no reason to ever teach a child about Ask that. Me. Pardon? There's no reason to ever teach a child about that. Exactly. That's why yeah. New York City 
uh, it's just a disaster with the mayor, who's of course licking the boots of the teachers unions, and yep. you know, sick, disgusting. But if yep. if candidates Absolutely. organize black mothers, I'm telling you, they're going to have a big, big success, just like in Florida, huge. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but Andrew Kelly, black Democrat, he was opposed to it. That's why he got kicked. Yep. He lost. How do you? I, I don't understand how you could be opposed to giving somebody, giving somebody the power and the authority to educate their children wherever they want to educate them. How can you be against that? Well, that okay, I want because I want the endorsement of the teachers unions and I want their money. Exactly. <laughs> Well, not only that, exactly. not only that, they they want to be able to um, control what these kids learn. That's it. And, That's it. Yep. And basically, That's it. you know, one thing they don't want them to learn is the true history of the Democrat right. Party, That's right. because That's then right. blacks will wake up when they find out they're in bed with the very political party that enslaved their ancestors. That's, and that's right. why we have all this erasing of their history. They want to take down statues, and names of schools. That's right. But they want to eliminate and erase their role in slavery. Yep. And I tell you, yep. Charles, it's amazing. You talk about blacks waking up. Sometimes I think we're Rip Van Winkle sleeping a long time. I was just reading an article I wrote back in <laughs> 1983 when you all were babies in the Washington Times I called The Closed Minds of black leaders, and it talked about those very issues, school choice, yeah. and then I had another one in human events in, 19, in 2001, in the 1980 Republican platform, Reagan talked about school choice, vouchers, enterprise zones, and you realize that the Black Caucus opposed opportunity zones all through a control, when the Democrats controlled the Congress. It was a disgrace. Wow. So, I hope we'll wake up, uh, we need a new crop of leaders like our friend here. You got to win this election, my friend. So give us a give us your campaign website where we send money. Uh, okay, my website is markrobinsonfornc.com. Mark, wait, M A R K. M A R K R O B I N S O N F O R N C dot com. Yes, sir. Uh, you can go there, okay. sign up to donate there. Uh, you can. Uh, uh, sign up to volunteer there. Uh, you can read all about our platform. Uh, our, okay. My platform, real quick, is uh, I'm standing up for the lives of the unborn. I'm standing up for the ah. Second Amendment. I'm standing you saw up the president today, didn't you? He came, he, for the Say first time again. ever, a president went in person to the uh, annual March for Life today. Great. Yes, yes, yes. That, that's, that, that's, that's the thing that I'm most passionate about, about standing up for these unborn children. If we don't mm. do that in this nation, everything else we do is for naught because – I don't think God is going, to, is going to suffer for long with these innocent lives being murdered at will like this. We have got to stop. We've got to stop it. The same way we stopped slavery, we got to stop. Uh, we've got to stop abortion. And then uh, twenty-three million it, blacks it, apparently. You know that's the black right, uh, that's right, targeting us. Twenty-three million, we've, isn't we've it? Been, yeah, been killed. we've been targeted like uh, we've been targeted like deer by deer hunters during deer season. Uh, the, the abortion. Well, Lady King uh, says it's, it's black genocide. You know, in New York City, there are areas in New York City where more blacks are aborted than are born. It's amazing. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Here, here you get these black folks talking about Planned Parenthood and Obama loved them to death and they loved him. It's disgraceful. Yep. But you did. It is. It's a shame. It Thanks to even life. Yep. But uh, 
Uh, as far as our campaign goes with education, we're, we're all about ending indoctrination and bringing back real education. Uh, get the mm-hmm. elementary school children to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic again. Uh, bringing exactly. that solid discipline and order back to the classroom so the children can learn and teachers can teach. Uh, and then on the on the on the back end of our campaign, we're we're pushing to make North Carolina's veterans care the best in this nation to make it the absolute gold standard. And we're also mm. pushing to stand up for law enforcement to make sure those guys and gals out there that are protecting our streets know that the elected officials have their backs in time of need and are not going to throw them under the bus uh, at every turn. Uh, so those, that's what we're fighting for as lieutenant governor. And uh, like I said, that's my platform. And, again, my website is markrobinsonfornc.com. You can go there to donate, guys. Thank you. Mark, Mark, how do you plan yes, on um, reaching the black community? Well, when we get past this primary, we're going to have to go after that, that vote. Right now we're in a, a Republican primary. But uh, we have a plan for that. Uh, I don't want to speak a whole lot on it, but uh, I believe there is a message that, uh, that that black people in this country are right for and ready for, especially young black people who, by and large, are not falling for the uh, falling for the narrative that's being preached to them in a lot of circles. They, they have not come to our side yet, but they are certainly they certainly have many many questions about the side that is courting them heavenly. And I think that mm. if we can deliver our message in a strong and positive way that's going to uh, empower people to get them to understand that the power actually lies in their hands for them to fix their lives, for them to fix their homes, for them to fix their communities and their, their cities and states and nations and their nation, I think that we can draw a lot of folks onto our side and we can garner a lot of those votes because what we're going to be preaching is a is a message of victory over victim victory over victimization, and that's what a mm-hmm. lot of folks need to hear and understand that you you no longer have to be a victim. Time for like being victim ended the moment the Thirteenth Amendment was passed and and slavery was crushed. That was the moment we became victims and were no longer victims, and we need to act like it. We need to walk yeah. through the door of freedom that other people have opened for us. So that's going to that's be a- our message all, all across the state. That's a good slogan. Mark, what are you saying on the point that you talk about sanctuary cities? Think you ought to have a sanctuary city so that when any black criminals are arrested, that they can't be turned over to the feds like they do it for illegal aliens? (laughs) (laughs) You know good well that ain't going to (laughs) happen. That's right. That's the analogy we ought to start talking to these people about. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Ridiculous, right? It's yep. crazy. I, I, you know, we have to stop asking the left how stupid they can be because I think they've taken it as a challenge. It's <laughs> <laughs> looking well, they have, humor and, they yeah, haven't right? disappointed. They have not disappointed. Gosh. They have not. No, sir. Well, guys, I got I got to get off here. I've got to get. I've got some stuff I've got to go tend to. Uh, it's right. been great. I hate to cut. I hate to cut it short, but uh, good picture of you, Mark. And, That's uh, a good picture on your yes, website. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I oh. certainly appreciate that. Uh, to all the listeners out there, again, I would per- certainly appreciate your support. And, C.S., thank you for inviting me on the show. Anytime. Okay. We'll get you back on. Yes, sir. Thank well, you. It is our pleasure, Mark. 
and good luck on your your uh, election. Uh, we'll have you back before election day. Uh, people find you at your name, Mark Robinson for NC.com. God bless. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. All right. Now that I've lost complete control of the show. <laughs> Hi, Clarence. How are you? Hello. How are you? How are you? Oh, <laughs> it has been. It, 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 this has been such a fun show today. I, I like. I never know where we're going to be coming from. Jeez. Um, so now I got to get my mind back into Clarence gear. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm working. I was telling Mister several weeks ago. I've been working on a book that's going to come out hopefully at the end of February, first part of March. On it compares how Obama failed filled Black America and how Trump is helping it. So. That should be very controversial. I have to hire a few bodyguards, but it's the truth. And school choice was just one, one well, issue. Well, you guys then send me a copy of the book so I can review it and get you back on. Um, you recently had an article up on Newsmax, which I read, which I loved. Uh, it was titled, Democrats Say No One Is Above the Law Except Us. If you look at the <laughs> trial and what just occurred with the FISA courts, oh, how truthful you are. Oh, my goodness. We got to get rid of that FISA court. What a joke! It's really a joke. You know, this impeachment hearing—it's uh, you know—the role of the Senate is not to investigate what the House did not investigate. <laughs> the, the, the Senate is supposed to be conducting a trial, and I'll tell you, Mr. Adam Schiff and Mr. Schumer—it's uh, all going to backfire on Democrats. You know, they have managed to do what Republicans haven't been able to do, and that's to keep. A certain four moderate Republicans on the reservation, you know, Collins, Mikowski, and Romney, and a couple others were worried about. We were worried that they were going to jump ship. You know, Democrats are always standing together. We're always the ones who kind of fold. But Susan Collins got so upset with Mr. Nadler actually calling all the senators, especially Republicans, saying that if if you uh, don't support us, you're aiding in a cover-up. That really got a lot of Republicans mad. And what it's going to do, I think, there may not even be a vote on getting witnesses. Um, as uh, I think what's so funny is that Collins told a reporter yesterday that she don't think that she didn't think that Schumer was interested in doing anything but trying to get her defeated in Maine. And he's made it very clear he's targeting the Republicans who are up for re-election. He wants to beat them. And so I think McConnell's done a good job, and I just hope that the president's guys tomorrow take the gloves off as well. It really should. It's just a real, it's just a joke. You know, Obama, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, it's such a double standard. Obama did so many things that these guys want to impeach Trump for, but they didn't say a thing then. Remember Fast and Furious and, and the guns? Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Held back documents. Well, well, Mr. Holder, Mr. Racial Division, was held in contempt of Congress, the first cabinet member in history, before holding back documents. Amazing. You know, exchanging of prisoners. Uh, Last week, I think there was a report from the Government Accounting Office saying that some money was held up too long. (laughs) And they did the same thing with Obama. But it's just a double standard. Then you got the media. It's no more than an adjunct of the Democratic Party, so... But for people like you and CS, and you got to get the word out. By the way, the latest. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah, Newsmax. Well, the I, latest one I did. It's called "How the Democrats Are Deceiving Black America." 
I mean, they had the gall, the caucus, about two, about a month ago, coming out saying that Trump had done nothing to help black people. And they had yeah, nothing but racist. Gosh, just, and we are just so blind. we got to start getting, that's why Mark is so important that he gets elected, because you need a whole new crop of black elected officials. This crowd is, God, it's just embarrassing. We need we I need veterans. Them. We need blacks. We need Black. females. All on the, the conservative side. We need a strong conservative presence. Hispanics, yeah. Well, that's one thing. You know, and, good and thing about that. We're the ones who are in the. I think that Trump can pull off. You know, all all Trump and all the conservatives have to do. You don't need to get a double the black vote now. You don't need to get fifty percent. All you need is fifteen percent about. Even twenty, you get that many black votes voting for Trump, it's all over, because they take us for granted all the time. And if you notice, I've always been a critic of the Republican establishment, because ten years, what have they done? They have no black outreach. Trump, the campaign going on right now, outreach to black is all because of Trump. He's the one who started this when he said, "What do you got to lose?" There's been no outreach from the Republican Party to black people, but Trump is making an effort for it. You know, 5.4% black unemployment. And I think there are going to be a lot of, I like black folks uh, don't like to have money in their pocket. We're not stupid. And listen to these politicians saying, well, the middle class are not getting hurt, are getting hurt. Come on. It's, 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 well, you know, really I, think- at, my, at my last Tea Party meeting this, this past week, I had Leon Wynn, who's our state, second vice chair, and he's the outreach person. Uh, he ran against Clyburn, and unfortunately, at the time, the GOP in the state didn't really put much effort behind him. But we now They have never do, leadership. you know? No, but now we have new leadership in our state GOP, and they're finally definitely getting behind a lot of the candidates where past leadership wouldn't do that. But if you look at what Trump is doing, by speaking for every man, for the average every man, like someone like you, myself, uh, like Curtis, like the people that are listening in onto the show right now, the average American, the real heart of America, he is bringing more people to into our fold than ever before. You know, if you look at his last rally numbers, it, over 20,000 voters were identified at his rally. He had over 20,000 people there. Out of mm-hmm. that, 15.7,000 were voters from Wisconsin, which meant an additional 5,000 came from outside of the state just to be at the rally. And exactly. almost 58% were not registered Republicans. These are people that some of them never even voted before. Something like about over 4,000 people had not registered to vote, but they are registering to vote now. And I looked at our county GOP had our meeting last night and we've increased our membership in the county between 2016 and today by 230 percent and we had one of our our board officers was in the grocery store shopping a woman walked up to him and handed her a party registration with the check saying here i'm registering for the county gop Mm. the people are coming out of the woodwork because of trump invigorating the public exactly and the Democrats really showing their butts. Excuse my expression. It's really. Um, <laughs> it, I think you can have, which will burn the media up. They're doing everything they can. 
I mean, if you watch them on every any everything but but in, uh, Fox, they are making and trying to make a hero out of Adam Schiff and Nadler. Oh gosh, and they're right. They're out to hang Trump too. So I would think that they don't remember, know that realize how smart the American people are. They think we're all deplorables, and I would wager that you're going to have a landslide like you did. We did in '80. And uh, 84, remember those 49 state all red maps, except D.C. and uh, where was it, Minnesota? But I think he's headed for. A, they they can't say that he's not going to get the popular vote this time. They'll shut up, Miss Crazy Warren, Pocahontas, you know. <laughs> well, I, I don't understand one thing. Here's a woman. Here's a white woman who passes herself off as a minority and an Indian for several years, has Harvard officially listed her as a minority female, gets all the benefits of it, and then all of a sudden, got black women out here trying to support this woman. Are you kidding me? And she lies and lies and lies. I think she's had it. I think she's over. You know, put her in a, what do you call it? Stick, stick a fork in her. Because she lies so much. <laughs> Sanders, the socialist, and Buttigieg. Not be careful what I say about that, I guess. <laughs> He's not going anywhere either. And you've got uh, the two blacks who are out of it. Thank heavens, they were jokes. You know, one reason that they couldn't get any support from black people or white people, if you remember Barack Obama, he played down the race card, remember? He never got in until he won. But he always played down the racial stuff. All you heard from Harris and our friend from New Jersey was race, 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 race. And you can't do that. You can't be calling whites bigots and all those kind of things and have them vote for you, even though Obama turned out to be uh, a racial divider. He was bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. He, talk, he, he talked about unity throughout the campaign, just like you said. You know, we're not a red, we're not a blue, this and that and the other. But once he got into office, his true nature came out. Exactly. Anytime he was criticized, he and a holder played the race card. If I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. Yeah, big deal. And that's how he got relevant to black folks. They, well, they go out here in the black, tell the black folks I, I know what it means to be followed in the store, and when they get out Sharpton to stand behind me, it was a joke. Well, you know the the ironic thing. Today to me is that um, you know we just celebrated um, Martin Luther King's uh, birthday, and yet if you look at the Democrat, the Democrat Party, and blacks involved with that party, everything is based on color of your skin, and that was um, against what Martin Luther King believed in. Yet exactly. he's their hero. So in other words, they they acknowledge. The, the symbolism of Dr. Martin Luther King, but they really don't adhere to what he really believed in. Tell me about it. There's something else. Oh, by the way, C.S., if you could send me our host's email address or text it to me, I'd appreciate it so she can get on the email list. Oh, yeah. For the news stuff. Oh, yeah. That would be great. But I don't know. It's, it's going to be a interesting two weeks coming up. I don't think. Oh, yeah. uh, oh I think this will be over next week. 
I think you know? I, actually I'm going to watch the um, Republicans. Um, they're you know conduct their part in their role in this trial. I will watch that. I, I just couldn't deal with the Democrats. Oh, and I think you're going to see viewership go up when the Republicans, Hopefully. you know, the president's defense come on. Well, I, I wanted so. to bring that up. I wanted to bring that up when we had Liz Harrington on, uh, because today the Democrats are supposed to be winding up. They've got seven hours today, and uh, it's yeah. mind-numbing. And the Republicans well, the go on. Pretty much. Yeah, the Republicans then go on offense uh, tomorrow on Saturday. Now think about mm-hmm. this: they thought they would schedule the Republicans on a Saturday, and they would get lower viewership. I think it's going to be the opposite because there's no football. There's no NASCAR on Saturday. So (laughs) what will people be watching? So I'm going to tell (laughs) you, they're going to turn it on to watch how the Republicans respond to the crap that has been thrown at them by Schiff and Nadler and Schumer and all the other fools. I think it's going to backfire in the big time. I think that's a good point. I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Mm -hmm. What a mess. Yeah, what a waste of time. Had... <laughs> and, and I, I wanted to know who's the script writer for Adam Schiff because he keeps on quoting the transcript, and it's never been a transcript anyone else has seen. He has to have exactly. some sort of a Hollywood script writer writing for him because this guy couldn't tell the truth if his life depended upon it. Oh, yeah. He, I wish he would be a witness. He kept he lies so much. Well, oh, my gosh. He's the face of the Democratic Party now. Well, that's good. He and short, fat Nadler. Nadler. <laughs> Every time Nadler opens his mouth, he's... he's Correct, are you? <laughs> that's a hard job for him, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he has to look up to everyone else. <laughs> oh. Short jokes. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, man. You know, I... I did pull up your article about the Black Caucus that you wrote, and I thought it was really, really interesting, and I had it highlighted last night. I mean, I, I had my county GOP meeting yesterday, and i got to give a short shout-out to uh, Paul Sutliff because I was supposed to call in as a guest on his show, and our meeting ran so long uh, because mm. I, I'm hoping that we are an example of what's happening across the rest of the nation because we did run long because we were talking about the upcoming elections and strategizing on what we were doing, how we would screen candidates and put information out there, not just on the federal level, but on the local level too. You know, we've got a county coroner, we've got uh, the, the county council coming up, the school board, and we're looking from grassroots all the way on up. And if if our county GOP is indicative of the rest of the nation, uh, we're going to see a, a, an amazing election come this November. Exactly. By the way, for your, all your thousands thousands of uh, listeners, what is the link to get, get to your show? It's the name of the show. You put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Real easy. Southern and people then dash- can watch Hyphen sense. Sense, as it's common sense. We don't Southern sense, okay. <laughs> Come on, Clarence. How many years have you been coming on the show? Come on. Well, <laughs> I love I, me. Well, I know that, but I just can never get. I take, don't take things down. I gotta write things down and put them on the list. There we go. <laughs> South Carolina. Um, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, as I was saying, your article on the Black Caucus was absolutely spot on. How much they lie and they try to divide and conquer us. Uh, and then when you compare it to what the truth is, is out there, the unemployment numbers, uh, the, the, the expansion in jobs and benefits because there are so many jobs out there and not enough people to, to fill them. Uh, it, it's an amazing thing. And yet the Black Caucus will lie simply so they can stay in power and get the votes. Oh, they're, they're sick. They're really, really... <laughs> in fact, as I recall, as I think back about the article, uh, I think I said Barack Obama may have been the first president sharing the same skin color as his fellow black Americans and members of the Black Caucus, but it's Donald Trump whose economic and social policies benefit black Americans. <laughs> yep, without well, a doubt. We have, we have a caller in on the line. Today's switchboard's a little bit busy today. Uh, let's bring the individual on. John, you're here listening to Southern Sense Live. I'm your hostess, Annie, the radio chick. Our guest is Clarence McKee. Uh, you have a question or comment, Joseph? I guess we lost the caller. I guess we lost the caller. Oh, well, nice try. Anyway, um, you know, as as I look at a lot of the stuff that's going on, um, we had the whistleblower that was caught (coughs) discussing how to take Trump out, and yet throughout everything that we see in this impeachment hearing, no one has asked for the whistleblower's testimony, not in the House. And we're not going to see any witnesses coming into the Senate. Uh, but yet they keep on bringing him up and mentioning him when they don't even want to get testimony from him. Do you think they're not going to have witnesses, Annie? Um, I think that there's enough members in the House, including Susan Collins, so incensed with what Schiff and Nadler are saying that I don't think they will. Because if the House didn't do their work, why should the Senate do the work the House should have done to begin with? Exactly. Good point. That's so true. Gosh. Right, well, we've got Disgrace. We also have our next guest in on the line, Clarence, if you want to hang out with us. I uh, want to welcome onto the show Lauren Bobert. Uh, she is running for Congress out of Colorado, and she made headlines when she went after Beto O'Rourke, strapping her weapon on her hip, saying, don't you even think of it. Welcome aboard, Lauren. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I was looking at your website and everything, and and, thank you for having the courage to step forward into the breach and say, we need our voice out there, and I'm going to take on the rhino holding that seat. That's exactly what I'm doing. Uh, I I am tired of um, my my people not being represented well. And, you know, the more I look into voting records, the more I see uh, that we are just not being represented here in the western slope of Colorado. Uh, when you think of western Colorado, you think that we would be leading in conservative values. Uh, but we're almost purple uh, in our district. And it's a direct representation of our leadership. And it, we have we have a leader who really is a Republican in name only. He uh, has an R next to his name, yet 
on a regular basis, he is voting with Democrats and forming coalitions with them uh, to further restrict the rights of his constituents. Oh, and I want to say uh, something, too. Uh, happy birthday. You turned 33 this month. Yes, well, last month, yes. <laughs> yes, I, I did turn uh, 33. So, um, yeah, I, the year of Jesus, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! But I, I I was reading the description um, that the, the GJ Sentinel put up about your campaign, and I love this when they described your restaurant called the Shooter's Grill in Rifle. That uh, not only do your waitresses also strap as they're serving, but the menu offers such items as sawed-off egg rolls, shotgun burritos, and ballistic chicken. I bet the liberals, the pot smoking liberals out there, are having their heads explode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and their bellies explode. Their bellies are very full as well. <laughs> but um, really, in <laughs> Rifle, Colorado, we are a very uh, conservative area, and so we don't have um, too many people who are outraged at what we do. You know, maybe if you go um, a little bit farther east, there's a few who would not venture out of their way to venture a place like um to visit a place like shooter's grill uh, but you know we have people from all over america stepping in and really shooter's grill is just part of my story of the american dream i grew up in a democrat household in a rough part of denver colorado and my mom just believed the lie that you needed government in order to survive. You needed to vote for Democrats because they were the ones who were going to make sure your house was uh, taken care of, you, your bills were paid, your children were fed, and your children had health insurance. And she believed that she couldn't go out and try to make something on her own because she would fail. Government was the only answer. But when we moved to the western slope of Colorado, and I got my first job at the Rifle McDonald's, I remember bringing my mom home my first paycheck, and there was such a sense of pride and empowerment that I had contributed to the family. And I began to see at an early age that I could do a better job taking care of us than the government ever did. And so I, I stumbled into conservative values. And then throughout the years, I just began to embrace them, and and just I really came to um, see that conservative living is an empowered living, and it really is the best way to live life. We don't want government overreach. Um, I, Thomas Jefferson, uh, he says, if a government is big enough to give you everything you want, then that that same government is big enough to take everything away from you, and that is very obvious in the day that we're living in when. We opened the restaurant in Rifle. You know, that was a risk. We had government officials telling us, don't do this. You won't be successful. But we took that risk in, um, in a hardship, and it, it's, been, it's been fun. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, yeah, because you're running against Scott Tipton, who's had that seat for quite a while. And I found it very interesting because this is his fourth term. Now, when he won in 2014, he won with 58%. He is now down to only 52%, his slimmest margin. And now um, yes. your third district has more registered Republicans than Democrats, something like 33 to 27%. But what you have mm -hmm. is a large unaffiliated voter, the vast majority, 37%. Yes. Now, with 
we see the resurgence of conservatism with Trump in this candidacy and massive crowds he's uh, he's drawing. How would you woo these unaffiliated 37 percent? Well, I, I believe that I've already began uh, began developing relationships with these independent voter, voters throughout our district. Last year in uh, Colorado, we went through a very vicious legislative session, and uh, our our state was just um, – we went through just some unheard of uh, – experiences with our our legislatures and one of the things was national popular vote all of a sudden all of coloradans were at risk of losing their vote because they had just passed the national popular vote and if enough states join on board with that then then colorado would be able to opt out of the electoral college um, in electing our president of the united states well that didn't sit well with republicans democrats or independents and i began to collect signatures on a petition so we could actually vote for that in 2020. And I uh, just did everything I could to put my life on hold and to obtain these signatures so we could get Coloradans their voice back and their vote back that was just stolen from us. And I became the second largest signature gatherer in the state of Colorado. And so through that, I believe that there's been a lot of relationships formed with independents, especially uh, Republicans. I mean, they were chasing me down to sign, but, you know, to really express, you know, what was happening and get them on board, there was a lot of relationship building there. And now because of uh, my efforts in obtaining those signatures, we as Coloradans do get to vote on that. And I didn't hear anything from our representative about that. Our congressman should have been here leading the charge saying, hey, Colorado, don't lose your vote. And, uh, there was nothing said. Uh, there were there were many petitions that we went through last year, and I had reached out to elected officials from all over our state, asking for help, saying somebody with with influence get behind us on this. We're losing our state quickly, and the only response I received was, "We're focused on 2020 elections." So now I, Lauren Bobert, am also focused on 2020 elections as I'm running for Congress. You know, the national popular vote, when Trump wins it in 2020, this November, you want to see how many people are going to pull that resolution or legislation out and and tear it up? It's going to send Mm. the left crying for their mommy. (laughs) Like, you wouldn't believe. You thought they were having panic attacks at the last election? (laughs) Right. Oh, panic attack in the last election. Forget about it. There's not going to be enough shrinks in the country to deal with all of them. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I, I do believe that we, we are just going to see an overwhelming response for President Trump in the, in the polls this year at, in November. And I'm so excited for that. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to serving under him in, in Congress and really um, helping him keep America great as he's uh, fulfilled so many promises during, uh, during this term. And, uh, you know, I was just in Virginia at their Second Amendment rally on Monday, and uh, looking around at the thousands and thousands of people there, I, it was very obvious to me that Trump had just won Virginia. <laughs> now Virginia can then elect Republicans into the governor, the House, right. and the, their Senate. <laughs> it would be a, a huge step forward. You know, um, 
your opponent, uh, Scott Tipton, you wrote a scathing letter to him, and God bless you for that one, about the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. And, you know, you hear mm-hmm. everyone, you know, touting this Modernization Act, and it sounds so nice. It sounds so warm and fuzzy. No. <laughs> it is. What is it? No. Well, uh, well, so we have we have um, an H-2A worker program um, where immigrants can come into our country legally and work in our um, in our farming industry in in our um, in our ag industry here. And what this does, um, this Farm Workforce Modernization Act, it is just a terrible bill that grants amnesty to one million illegal immigrants. These are people who came in here legally. They are. They came in here um, illegally. And my opponent, Scott Tipton, he voted yes to this. He joined Nancy Pelosi and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and 224 other Democrats to vote for amnesty for these um, millions of illegal immigrants. You know, the, the Heritage Foundation said that the Farm Work uh, Modernization Act is uh, foremost an illegal immigration bill that would provide amnesty. And, you know, he's trying to say that this is not a bill for amnesty, yet we have two conservative Republican representatives in Congress for Colorado. Uh, Ken Buck, he's the chairman of the the Colorado Republican Party, and uh, he voted no. He said that this opens the door to a massive amnesty. Uh, Doug Lamborn is our other staunch conservative Republican, and he voted no to this garbage. And Scott Tipton is the only one who voted yes for it. Uh, and, and, you know, I believe, I don't believe that there's any chance that he would have ever been elected in our district if he had been honest about joining Democrats and giving millions of people amnesty. But really, it's worse than that. Along with the amnesty, it gives the illegal immigrants $1 billion taxpayer dollars from our pockets to provide uh, these workers with housing for themselves, their spouses, and uh, their children. And so, you know, my question is, why would this, this absolutely undermines President Trump's border security efforts? And why would Democrats ever negotiate with President Trump if we're giving them everything that they want, I mean, I, I just I just can't fathom that that somebody who is supposed to be supporting our uh, president would vote in this manner and completely undermine his his border security efforts. If if we're going to talk about immigration, it starts with securing the border. We don't have a conversation until we can fully secure our border. Then we can continue this conversation about immigration. Man, I wish you would be running for a seat here in my state. We're trying to get rid of Beer Can Joe Cunningham, <laughs> which is oh, why man. our meeting was so long last night at, at our county GOP, uh, because our District 1, we lost it, uh, which was originally held by Mark Stanford, to Beer Can Joe. So if anyone wonders why I call him Beer Can Joe, <laughs> his first day walking onto the floor of the house, he tried to bring a six-pack of beer with him. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, you know, my congressman is just bringing in a million illegal immigrants. So, I mean, a six-pack or a million legal immigrants. So, I don't know. <laughs> that's what he's walking on stage with. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, with my letter, you know, your your listeners can go.
go to keepourguns.com, and I have it up there um, for everyone to see because um, I do believe that this is a vote that uh, the people need to be made aware of. And, uh, you know, we, we need to support President Trump, uh, and we need to build the wall. We need to enforce our existing laws. And I don't know where Scott Tipton is going next on this, but I hope he doesn't join the Democrats who want to abolish ICE. I mean, where is he going to stop? I don't like sanctuary cities. We, we need an effective entry and exit system. And right now, we do not have a way to make sure those entering legally or illegally have even exited the country. Uh, so we, we shouldn't reward those who are here illegally with a path to the front line. I, I, I guess in other words, we need comprehensive immigration reform, and that right there starts with securing the border. So to, to read my letter to my opponent, uh, go to keepourguns.com because uh, I was very forthcoming in it about how I feel about this. <laughs> well, people can also find you with your first name, Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, Lauren for Colorado.com too. So go onto your That's campaign right. website. You've got that letter up there also, uh, which is easy. <laughs> Keep our guns or Lauren for Colorado. You know, the Democrats keep on playing identity politics. And, you know, you're African-American, you're Latino-American, you're Asian-American, you're Muslim-American. They keep trying to split us up so we become victims. How would you work to counter that? Well, I, I think I've, I've been a, a victim of identity politics growing up. You know, we were identified as poor and unsuccessful and and so we had to vote a certain way because we were in that class i'm just ready for principled politics i'm and and really i think that speaks to our voter registration margins here in the third district of colorado we have so many independent voters because uh they really i I believe that they they do like the foundation of the Republican Party and what the Republican Party stands for. But what they're not seeing is conservative leaders who aren't going to uh, get into office and vote Democrat light and, uh, and compromise their character and, and their principles for these, for these policy games. And I, I do believe that that's what our independent voters are looking for. When, I, when I'm out there speaking with them, they're just frustrated at how people campaign on one thing and then get to D.C. And rather than seeing it as what it is, a swamp filled with snakes and alligators, they sit in the hot tub and just kind of relax a little bit and say, hmm, this is kind of nice. And then their character and their uh, principles begin to waver. And so I believe that's why we have so many independent voters there. But with these uh, identity politics, you know, I certainly don't want anybody voting for me just because I'm a woman. But also, because I'm a woman, I know how to be tough and I know how to be compassionate. I am a mother of four boys. And that says it all right there. That is grit (laughs) and love all in one. (laughs) I have to be gritty. To raise them to be good, strong, independent men, and yet nurturing and loving to uh, grow them through different seasons of life. And, you know, that's, that's what it's going to take to get our country in the right direction as well. You know, I, I believe that the Democrats, um, they have the compassion message down. And us Republicans, we are uh, 
so driven by, by work and motivated that sometimes we don't have time for that emotional connection. Uh, but being, being a mom of four, uh, being raised with a poverty mentality and coming out of that, I, I know where that emotion connects to policy. And I'm able to engage in that with, with other people. And really, freedom is the great motivator in all of this. And I don't believe any of us want to be uh, restricted by an overreaching government. We all want to be free. Lauren. Well, you know, educate, I was going to ask you about education, Curtis, uh, because it is a highly okay. important uh, uh, subject here. And there is a huge push for choice in schools. Would you work when you are elected? Would you work to abolish the federal involvement in education and bring it back to the state and local? Um, yes. Well, if if I'm uh, if if what I know is correct, uh, President Trump has already done that, and he has. Um, lifted a lot of those restrictions, and it is up to the states um, now. And absolutely, I would want uh, the 10th Amendment enacted in that and have state control over schools. Unfortunately, in Colorado, I, I don't know how how great that would be for us because we do have a super uh, majority. The Democrats have a super majority right now, and they are doing everything they can to indoctrinize our, our students. And our, our children, they're having comprehensive sex education forced upon them. And if you don't know how awful that is, um, I, just a couple things. I mean, we're not just talking about gender identity uh, and, you know, having elementary kids be able to choose if they're a boy, a girl, non-binary, what all those things are. I, I don't know. I wanted to be a unicorn when I was in third grade, so maybe that's an option. Uh, but <laughs> maybe a mermaid. <laughs> so, but not only there, it doesn't stop there, but now – their definition for abstinence isn't just um, our traditional definition. It's now anything that does not produce a pregnancy. So our elementary students, they say it's only it's supposed to start at third grade, but I do know of kindergartners who are being taught this in Colorado. Uh, we're teaching them that any sexual act that does not produce a pregnancy, that cannot produce a pregnancy, is now abstinence. So that means we're teaching our kids about anal sex and physical touching and oral sex. And not only are we teaching them what it is, but we're teaching them how to engage in it and how to enjoy it. We are absolutely, uh, they, they, I'm sorry, not we, I have no, no part of that. I'm doing everything I can to stop it. But they are sexualizing our children. And uh, so I am absolutely for school choice. Uh, I, I love what Oklahoma does with, with uh, their, their tax system. And you bring a coupon for your taxes to the school of your choice. And that school benefits from your tax dollars, and they compete to have your tax dollars so they can have better funding for their schools and a better school. Uh, I don't think it's the government's role to be picking winners and losers in, in these districts. But, uh, you know, when, when we have failing schools here in Colorado and we're having uh, Pride Month, in, instead of uh, cracking down on reading and writing, there's a really huge issue there. Uh, but, yes, I do believe that states should be in control. I just want to get our uh, state legislator in better control before we release all reign to them. Well, Curtis, go ahead. Yes, Lauren, um, there are a lot of people down on the future of America, even some on our side. I'm, I'm optimistic. Um, where do you see America if Trump remains in office another four years versus the Democrats taking over? And could you juxt juxtapose the two? 
that's that's really simple. It's uh, freedom or socialism. If if Trump stays in office, uh, we will remain free. We will remain prosperous. We will continue uh, tremendous trade deals with other countries. And um, I I would hope that he would spend his next four years securing everything that he has done. So if the Democrats take over after, it cannot be undone. Uh, we have made uh, tremendous strides in his administration, and I would hate for somebody to come in and just undo everything. You know, I I understand that he did that with Obama, uh, but that was I, I was very grateful for those changes. I was very grateful that he was able at that time to come in and undo so many things that that were forced upon us. I, I wish there was even more that was done. Um, if 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 my opponent uh, possibly could have voted right when we were in the majority, then we could be looking at uh, no Obamacare right now, you know, and, and that being completely gone. But uh, when he had an opportunity to uh, vote no on that, uh, he, he passed it up. But um, I would hope that President Trump would just continue to put America first, like we know he's going to, and secure everything that he has implemented. Uh, and if, if he doesn't win, um, it's, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, it will be socialism. And uh, like I like I said, uh, that Thomas Jefferson quote, if, if, if you have a government that is big enough to give you anything you want, then it's also a government that can take everything away from you. And we're already seeing that's exactly what they want. We have socialists right now running for president. And uh, that is a scary, scary uh, thought to have. Uh, you know, and that's part of me being a mom to these four boys, there is a mandate on my life to secure the nation that I will send them out into. And I have worked too hard to raise them with these conservative values and with morals and integrity to then send them out into a socialist nation. I, that is the worst thing that could happen to America. You know, it's funny because um, my husband and I were watching the three-part movie Atlas Shrugged and uh, find it ironic that their sanctuary that they all fled to when the world went nuts was in Colorado. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. There's a lot. Yes. There's a lot for standing up for freedom and liberty. You know, people can find you at your yes. website, which is LaurenforColorado.com. And there's so much more to go over with. You know, we've got uh, Rashida Tlaib in Congress, well, with Ilian Omar and AOC. And we don't see them being sanctioned for some of these anti-Semitic no. things they openly say. Mm-hmm. They're uh, mm-hmm. blatant criticism and crim- I would say criminal remarks they make about Israel and uh, Jews, but they're also attacking all faith, Christianity including. We see a rise mm-hmm. in attack on our Judeo-Christian foundations. Um, what would you do to work to reverse that? Would you try to put sanctions well, against first, them? What would you do? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that is that is a big motivating factor to my run, uh, because right now there are these um, people like AOC and the squad and the rest of these left wing lunatics who are going unchallenged. And we have um, Republicans who are remaining silent on these issues. They're utterly silent. And we need someone who will speak up uh, and, and and not allow uh, this narrative to continue. Uh, I, 
I don't know about you, but I don't like waking up every morning to hear AOC's narrative directing our country. And it's time to redirect it back to the Constitution and back to conservatism. Uh, Just like I took action and went and confronted a former presidential candidate, Beto O'Rourke, in Aurora, Colorado, I didn't sit at home and complain from my sofa. I drove three hours with my Glock on my hip, and I grabbed the microphone, and I looked him in the eye, and I said, hell no, you're not going to take our guns. You're not going to infringe on the rights of Americans. We have the Bill of Rights. These are the list of things that we told government. These belong to us. You didn't give them to us. God gave them to us. These are the rights from God, not from you. You keep your hands off of them. They're not for your for, for you to regulate or to control or to, uh, to take away from us. And so I went down there, and I told him that. And that's the problem I'm seeing with our representation right now. No one is challenging these people who are taking, infringing the rights of American citizens. And, and I would use that same tenacity and um, boldness to support President Trump. Uh, we have people who, uh, you know, kind of were weary, leery about uh, actually supporting him in the beginning, and now, you know, they see that there's enough support there, and so they kind of want to say, yay, Trump did this, and uh, but there's no passion. There's no genuineness to it, and I will be the Jim Jordan. I will be the Matt Gates. I will be the Dan Crenshaw that stands up and supports President Trump and his policies and his efforts, and uh, – that's just, I think that's where we're, we're at right now. We need strong leadership, strong servant leadership who recognizes who they really work for, the people. And, and I believe it's going to take we, the American people, getting in office to have that uh, revelation shift and have that uh, transition, transformation. I don't know. I'm sorry, I just got distracted by something someone just posted. I apologize. I'm suffering from oh, that's the CRS. Okay. But do we it's have old talkers, age. Uh, do we have <laughs> listeners talking to us? Well, I've got people in the chat room over on Facebook because we're Facebook Live as well as here on Blog Talk Radio. And the video will be published up to YouTube a little bit later on tonight. We're also on SHR Media, Pundit okay. uh, Press. Uh, I forget half the places. <laughs> Up iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, wherever we're all over the place. So you'll you'll get a lot Wonderful. of good play. People can find you by hey, going everyone. to your website, which is LaurenForColorado.com. Lauren, good luck on your uh, election. When is your primary? Uh, June thirtieth. And so yeah, I need uh, if you have some Colorado listeners, I definitely need uh, delegates to show up their, to their caucus March seventh. But uh. Uh, more than that, I need to get my message out. And so uh, I am going up against an incumbent and who has lots of money. Uh, so I need donations at laurenforcolorado.com. Every little bit helps. Um, you know, $10 gets me on the radio and puts me uh, in, in the vehicle and in the homes and in the workplaces of people that I can't physically be with right now. Actually, I'm uh, touring the town of Natarita, Colorado right now. I stepped away to do this interview. And, you know, they have a just – tremendous uh, community here who are doing everything they can to be successful and they're not reaching out to the government to do it you know they're they're um, just great innovative people and I'm seeing that all over Colorado and uh, you know and I, I just believe that's 
that's the American dream right there. And so, yeah, have your people go to laurenforcolorado.com. I need all the support that I can get. This is a grassroots movement, and uh, I believe that if uh, that when we're successful, we can assist in really helping uh, President Trump keep our country great. Well, Lauren, thank you for the hard work you do, and good luck. And we'll be talking to you before your primary and have you back on, okay? Wonderful. Talk to you then. Thank you so much. God bless you, and God bless America. God bless All right. Lauren. Thank Check you. her out, Lauren, laurenforcolorado.com. And this is my, my best buddy, my teddy bear, Jim Simpson. He's the author of The Red Green Axis. And here, James, um, I went nuts last night. I would have sworn you sent me the new book, what just came out in June, uh, The Red Green Axis 2.0. And for the life of me, I tore my house apart and could not find it. Am I losing my mind or is just I'm that dumb? <laughs> Great to be with you, Anne. I don't know. I think we're all losing our minds, frankly. But um, uh, and, and very understandably, the way things have been going lately. But um I don't remember ever sending you one, frankly. I, I, I may have. I mean, you know, I, I don't remember a lot of things, but uh, I, I, I don't remember it. I, I don't remember sending you one. Uh, well, I've got the first one in my hands, and I said, no, I would have uh-huh. put the two of them together on the bookcase behind me. And uh, yeah. Trumpy Bear's Kate was hiding the book. <laughs> I got Trumpy Bear on the bookcase, too. <laughs> What a nutty world we have come to to find. I mean, I've known you now going on, what, about ever since we started the Tea Party Coalition Convention for about 10 years now. Uh, It's now called Rock the Red, and uh, I'll make sure that you know about it when it comes around next year. Uh, Right. But the movement is still out there. It may not be called Tea Party. But the movement is still out there, and it's growing, and this president seems to have invigorated it and had people coming out of the woodwork. The last time we saw this was the start of the Tea Party. Yeah. Well, I think the the Tea Party is essentially that base of support that he has that we see showing up at, at every rally. And, you know, the Tea Party movement is um, is basically just real Americans who – understand what's going on and are very concerned about what's going on and uh, want to see change. We, you know, those of us out there living our lives every day, uh, trying to earn a living, trying to raise our kids, put them through college and everything, um, we are being assaulted on every front. And, uh, you know, this is basically America versus the extreme left. That's, that's, that's what it's become. It's, it's become a nation where our society, our concepts of, you know, American exceptionalism, free market capitalism, uh, the rule of law, and uh, the solid constitutional foundation of this country are being attacked like they have never been attacked. And, you know, Washington, D.C., they, they don't get it. They, they live in a bubble. They all make decent and sometimes very good amounts of money, most of it paid directly or indirectly through our tax dollars. Um, and we struggle every single day. 
and they just don't get that. And I know that firsthand. I mean, I talk with, uh, uh, you know, very prominent people in D.C., uh, the former chief of staff for, um, for Paul. Um, <clears throat> oh, now I'm having another senior moment. The former uh, <laughs> speak house speaker, um, Paul, Paul Ryan. Ryan. Uh, yeah, I mean, his chief of staff was clueless, and I was shocked. He just didn't get it and wasn't going to get it. And, uh, you know, so what Trump has ignited is, um, you know, he struck a chord with all of us and offers out <clears throat> hope for us for perhaps the first time in, in recent history where he identifies the reasons that we're so concerned, and he actually works to fix things. And what he's done in the past three years is would be astonishing uh, under any circumstance, but when you consider the fact that every day he's being attacked at every angle by these monsters, he, he's done just simply amazing work. You know, he's, he's obstructed in the courts, he's obstructed in Congress, He's obstructed in the bureaucracy, um, and yet yet he forges ahead and has done simply amazing things. He finds ways to, to get around it, and when he's challenged, he finds ways to get around that. And, uh, you know, you've you you got to give him a lot of credit. He tweets too much, but to me that's <laughs> not much of a – that's not much of a criticism – when you stand it side by side with all the good that he's accomplished and all the things that he actually does. Well, it looks like the, the harder they push against him, the more they go to attack him, the brighter he yeah. shines. It's like, bring it on yeah. because he's just, he's feeding off of it. So they're, yeah. they're <laughs> wasting all this energy and all of this time. And he says, bring it on because I just love it. Yeah. It's like a good blob. You know the Steve, that bad Steve McQueen movie from the sixties. I never saw blob. that. He's just absorbing it. You never saw yeah. the Blob, classic Steve McQueen. Oh, oh, the, oh, the Blob. Ever uh, made. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was terrible. I remember that. I used to watch that when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Invades the movie theater but, and everything. Yeah. 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 But you know, he's well, you know, so I th- admired. He's still mired in a swamp uh, because there was an article up in the Daily Wire uh, that they wrote that uh, in October, uh, unfortunately, under Trump's administration, they've handed out $100,000 of our taxpayer money to CARE. To CARE. And, yeah, I know. I saw that. And Department of Homeland Security is still doling out money to the Muslim Brotherhood to CARE to other terrorist yep. Yep. You know, associated Entities yep, organizations. and no yeah. one's able to stop it. Yeah, it's 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 pretty stunning. Um, well, you know, there's still a lot of mother Muslim Brotherhood operatives working in DHS and in other places. I mean, they infiltrated starting in the Bush administration, actually, and then really in a big way under Obama and. You know, they're just they're, they're, they're subversive. It's subversive. They're subverting our nation. And uh, 
I'd like to know the particulars of what that hundred thousand was for, and uh, and and specifically who at DHS authorized it, and what their rationale was. But I, I'm willing to bet that it flew under the radar uh, for the top levels because they've got much bigger fish to fry, and they're not paying attention. They can't pay attention to everything. I mean, we were outraged that they should get five cents, but a hundred thousand dollars, you know, in, in in the federal government is, uh, you know, it's a blip on the screen. It's not even a blip. Um, so, uh, I think that you know that's the problem. They're they're overwhelmed, and they're overwhelmed with much bigger problems than that. But uh, it sure would be nice to see whoever um, authorized that. Uh, be shown the door and have that money rescinded because care is one of the most evil, corrupt, uh, diabolical, vicious anti-American organizations in our country. And that's saying something because there's a lot of them. Yeah, because care is the one that sued NYPD and had any mention of Islamic terrorism taken out of our patrol guide. And they've gone and, lectured uh, the FBI, the CIA, and every other secret government agency on how to treat Muslims. And how dare you say the word terrorism? We had Obama, um, had Ibu Patel, who was best friends to Muslim Brotherhood's uh, grandson of the founder, and he Mm. was the religious outreach for the Obama administration. Mm. And it is so Mm. insidious. Yeah, it, no, so it really and, is. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if you read my article on <clears throat> CARES Islamophobia report. You can find that at the Center for Security Policy, and then there's a much longer five-part version at the Capital Research Center that just totally tears apart their Islamophobia report. They've been putting those out annually since I think – 2013 or maybe earlier and um i have a uh a photo a snapshot a screen save photo from the facebook page of isam omish who is uh a big muslim brotherhood guy and he lists all the words that you can't say um and if you do say them, it defines you as an Islamophobe. And some of the words are, for example, Islamic terrorism, Islamic jihad, jihad, uh, Sharia is opposed to the Constitution. I mean, anything negative about Islam at all, uh, and he has about 10 different uh, descriptive words for various forms of Islamic terrorism, you are an Islamophobe and have to stop your hate. And, you know, it, it, it defies description. I mean, it's a laughable word. They invented it. It's just another word like homophobia and xenophobia and all these that the left makes up as a way to shame and silence anybody who sees what's going on and identifies it for what it is and they don't like it. And they get outraged. And Isam Omish is is an interesting guy. He was a founding member of the Dar al-Hijra Mosque. 
in Falls Church, Virginia, which um, hosted uh, Anwar, Anwar, Anwar Al-Awlaki uh, yeah, Al- for a number of years. And uh, Nidal Hassan actually visited him there. And we know that Nidal Hassan, the Fort Hood shooter, was um, was uh, radicalized by Al-Awlaki or mentored, however you want to call it. Uh, also, a couple of the 9-11 hijackers visited uh, him there prior to 9-11. And so, can we say Islamic terrorism? <laughs> no, we can't. But he was one of the founding members of the Dar al-Hijrah Mosque, and he's still on the board of directors there. And he is um, the head of general and laparoscopic surgery at uh, Alexandria Inova Hospital. Uh, don't lose your head over it, but that's what he does. And um, so he's very prominent, and he's longstanding member of this, uh, that mosque, and many other Muslim Brotherhood organizations. But what he doesn't tell you is he is also the director of the Washington Trust Fund. And you say, oh, well, okay, what's the Washington Trust Fund? Well, it is actually CARES um, Property Management Fund. It has about $6 million worth of properties in Northern Virginia, and he's the person who directs that fund. So he's also a member of CARE. So, you know, you get all these people who are deeply involved in Islamic terrorism, who are, who are supporting and defending and promoting all of the the um, these efforts by the Islamic uh, groups to undermine and uh, subvert our nation, and he's saying, "Well, you can't say anything about that because <laughs> you'll be an Islamophobe if you do." Well. Screw him. I'm an Islamophobe, but that's what an Islamophobe <laughs> is. You know, I, I, it's just that's so absurd. It's ridiculous. And uh, uh, and they're the ones who express the hate. You know, that's the thing that really annoys the heck out of me, because we raise legitimate points and their total only responses to it is that we are all haters and bigots and Islamophobes, etc., and it's because we're actually correct, and they know we're correct. But the best way to uh, keep that under wraps is to call us names. And as I've said frequently, the red-green axis, which is the left and its Islamic allies, has reduced political dialogue in this nation to infantile elementary school name-calling. And that's what you have to how you have to identify it. This is infantile elementary school name calling. That's what they have done to the political discourse in our nation. It's a national disgrace, and it all, all of it, can be laid right at their feet because we just don't engage in those kinds of tactics. Uh, we we are people with integrity. We are people with principles, and we talk principles we talk facts and they hate it because uh, they are just strictly completely embedded 
in ideology, and ideology is blind to the truth. Uh, ideology has a goal, and truth stands in the way of that goal. So they try to do everything they can to destroy it, and they use groups like the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Anti-Defamation League, the American Civil Liberties Union, and other groups like that to threaten and silence anybody who's willing to identify their agenda for what it is. Well, the main tactic is to place themselves as the victim. And once they do that, yeah, right. then we yeah, go right. on the defensive, which we shouldn't right, do. Right. We should simply expose right. the truth and not go on the defensive, right. saying, hey, listen, right. exactly. then explain this truth. But we fall for yeah. it every time. So you've got yep. people yep. like uh, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib in Congress making anti-Semitic, anti-Israel statements, and no right. one challenges them because right. they've created right. themselves as the victim. So how dare you? I'm the victim here. Don't you understand that? You can't attack me. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it, it really annoys me. I, I wrote a piece for uh, PJ Media titled, titled uh, Ill on Omar, Poster Child for the Red-Green Axis, where I described, you know, Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar and all the other Muslim, prominent Muslims, and most people on the left describe Israel as an apartheid state. And they go back all the way to Israel's founding in 1947 when they claimed that Palestinians were driven from their homes they had their homes confiscated, and then they were not allowed back. And so they keep talking about Palestinian right of return. They keep talking about Israel as an apartheid state. Well, you know, in 1947, when the Israel's in, when Israel was created, there were about 700,000 Arabs in what is now Israel. And it wasn't the Israelis that drove them out. When the Arabs attacked, you know, immediately following creation of the Jewish state, when they attacked, they told Arabs to get out of their houses, to leave, to avoid being caught in the crossfire, and that when the Arabs defeated Israel and restored it to Arab control, they could come back. Well, except it didn't work out the way the Arabs wanted it to. They got their keisters handed to them on a platter. And and the the Arabs there had already left. And it should also be said that Palestinians are not a people. Palestinians are just Arabs. And none other than a leader of the PLO said that. And he said, well, Palestinians is not a people. Palestine is not a people. It, but we created it to provide a pretext to continue our ongoing war with the Zionists. That's what he said. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it exactly right. But that's what he said. And he was a major leader of the PLO in the, in the 70s, not Yasser Arafat. Um, I can't remember the guy's name uh, off the top of my head. But he said that. And that also is in the 
Palestinian charter that their goal is to destroy Israel and the nation of Palestine has to be maintained as a fiction in order to provide the pretext for their ongoing war. And if you look at the reality, Israel, now there are over 2 million of the 6 million people in Israel, 2 million are Arabs. And so what's this right of return about? I mean, if, if, if most of the people who would have fled at that time are, are, have passed on, but even if they hadn't, there's nothing preventing Arabs from moving back into Israel as proved by the current population. And they get special uh, treatment. There are special affirmative action programs for Arabs. They, get, uh, they have seats in the Knesset, the Israeli parliament, mm-hmm. and uh, they have jobs, uh, you know, very good, high-paying jobs. There is no bar to any Arab living in Israel. The, the true apartheid state is the Palestinian-controlled areas, the Gaza and the uh, areas controlled by the Palestinian Authority. Those uh, Gaza and the West Bank, those are the true apartheid states. They they fight every uh, Jewish settlement there. They uh, throw people in jail and everything up to uh, execution for any Palestinian who sells land to Jews. And 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 then at the same time they operate a corrupt utterly corrupt socialist state where they're essentially robbing the Palestinian people blind, taking their money, uh, indoctrinating their children to become suicide bombers. I mean, they live in a holy hell over there, and the the leaders of that, of the you know, Palestinian areas, they have been the most oppressive people in the world. So it's really Palestine that is the uh, apartheid state. And I wish, you know, like so many things, I wish our mass media would be honest about that because they have essentially stoked the fires of that conflict by siding with the Palestinians all the time. It's just disgraceful. It's so dishonest. We're down to our last five minutes on the show. The show has gone so fast. Three hours is like only five minutes to me. Uh, Where can people find you and read your work? Well, a lot of my archives are at crisisnow.net. They can get my books at Amazon just by searching my name. uh, The name I use as an author is James Simpson. Um, And they can go to the Center for Security Policy and look up my many articles there. Also, both of my books on the red-green axis are available as free downloads at the Center for Security Policy website. Uh, they're free PDF downloads. So if you don't want to buy one of my books, you can, uh, you can get a free copy of it just by going to the Center for Security Policy website. Personally, I like to have a book in my hand, you know, 
<laughs> me too. It costs Jim, money. It has been fun. <laughs> it has been fun. Uh, we're always in touch. And God bless for the hard work you do. We we need more time to talk more about this. But you were homeschooling your kids for well, so we long. Well, we really do. I wasn't I, able to have we, really, we really do because I'd like to talk to you about I, my uh, campaign, my candidacy for the U.S. Congress. Ah, you told me not to say anything, so I didn't. But you are I know, but I am. I just I, I filed today, and the reason I don't bring it up is because I don't have an operational website yet. It will be up this weekend, um, JimSimpsonForCongress.com, uh, and like your prior guest, I, I beg your listeners to go to that and donate whatever they can because the only way we're going to win this fight is if we have better people in positions that, of power, in positions that can influence change. And I'm determined to win that race, but it's going to take a lot of money. And that's unfortunately the mother's milk of politics. And uh, so that, that website will be up this weekend, but it's not up now. All right, Jim. Well, I'll be talking to you soon, and we'll schedule you back so you can have a lot more time and talk more about your campaign. I'll talk to you soon. Great. Great, Ann. Thanks. All right. Uh, Jim Simpson, check out his upcoming website, jimsimpsonforcongress.com. Curtis, I can't believe we're we're running out of time here. We're going to be back here on Friday. We have Angel Mom, who's running for Congress in California, 31st District, Agnes Gibney. She'll be on. And Dr. Meg Meeker has a book out that just came out called Raising a Strong Daughter in a Toxic Culture. She should have been on the show today. She had to reschedule to next week. So oh. we're, we're going like crazy here. So I want to leave everyone with our closing song, Gary Piccarella, and his song is Save America. So until then, I say good night and God bless. Have a safe and healthy weekend. I'm free.